Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey, we hear something. All right. Talk <laughs> oh, Recorded live. Uh, hello, this is Michael Adams, and it's nothing but the truthful man's journey to find it. It is... December the 3rd, 2015, and we have a special guest tonight. Once again, we have, uh, this time around, we have uh, Don Morgel. It's a YouTube channel, and uh, we're going to be talking, once again, about uh, our flat earth, our flat world, and uh, uh, so we'll talk a little, about, a little more about that in a little bit here. First of all, I want to apologize to the folks who were in the, cat, the chat room before, <clears throat> Um, we had technical problems, so hopefully you'll come back and join us. And if not, you certainly can listen to the recording. Um, what I'd like to do is to read a couple things <clears throat> out of the Bible. One is out of uh, Isaiah 14, chapter 14. And um, this is the famous verses about Lucifer, Satan. He says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt myself, my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. And yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pits. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nation, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, they go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trembled under feet. And thou shalt not be joined with them in, in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people, and the seeds of the evil doer, doers, excuse me, plural, shall never be renewed. And then we go to Revelation 12. <clears throat> and we look at Satan thrown out of heaven. 
And war broke out in heaven, and Michael and the angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was the place found in them in heaven any longer. So great, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of a lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, ye who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you and has great wrath because he knoweth that he has a short time. One thing I would like to read, and that is the noble lie. And one of the things I believe that we're dealing with in this world, not only what the Bible talks about, about Lucifer, Satan, and uh, the prince of this world, the great deceiver, while we're all under a strong delusion, all of us, no exceptions, uh, just a degree of that delusion, I would like to talk about this principle that's used in politics called a noble lie. This is what I just read a little bit from um, Wikipedia. It says here, in politics, noble lie is a myth or untruth often, but not invariably of a religious nature, knowingly told by an elite to maintain social harmony and to advance an agenda. Think about that. To maintain social harmony to advance an agenda. The noble eye is a concept originated by, you got it, Plato, as described in the Republic. In a religion, a pious fiction is a narrative that is presented as true by the author, but is considered by others to be fictional, albeit produced with an altruistic motive. The term is sometimes used uh, (laughs) uh, to suggest that the author of the narrative was deliberately misleading readers for selfish or deceitful reasons. The term is often used in religious contexts, sometimes referring to the passage in the religious context. We go on and on. But the big thing in here, when you look about the noble lie, and we're dealing with the quote-unquote, the elite, it usually has some religious nature to maintain a social harmony and advance a certain agenda. Now, with that, um, let's introduce our guest a little bit here. He has a web, web, web page called uh, Morgel, and um, some fantastic work. It's funny how the world works. It's funny how some guy somewhere in the middle of nowhere with 
<laughs> just and in simple means uh, can share so much truth. And I strongly recommend that you go to the Morgel YouTube channel and um, check it out because you're going to learn so much information and you're going to really start to understand truly what our world looks like. Now, does this uh, gentleman have all the answers? Of course not. No one does. But as far as the explanation about the fact that what our, the reality of our world is, that being a plane, and it's airplanes flying over it, yeah, I strongly recommend that you listen to all his work. It is not a waste of your time. With that, I'd like to have you join me here. Um, is it okay to call you by your, your real name, or yeah, the... you, you can just call you can just call me John. Okay. Uh, the, the YouTube page, the I guess the way I would pronounce it, but it, it's really just something I made up many years ago. Uh, I pronounce it the Morgile, and uh, it's I don't have a website. It's just a YouTube page, and and I really appreciate the the introduction. It's uh, that was very very kind of you. It's uh, good to hear encouraging words from time to time because um, there is a lot of uh, well, there's a lot of argument on this topic. So so thank you for that. Oh, thank you for all the hard work you're doing, man. It's really awesome because, you know, truth is a lonely, uh, lonely warrior, as it's the, the uh, <clears throat> poem suggests. And you know, there's very few of us out there really who really are really pursuing the truth. Most of us, we get, you know, spanked somewhere down uh, down the road, and uh, our ego gets in the way. So. For you to be willing to do what you've been doing and be so generous with the uh, the videos, and uh, I mean it's a lot of energy and effort, and the way that you present it and the fluid, fluidity of it, I recognize the amount of energy it takes to do that, and I really do appreciate it. I strongly recommend anybody to, to once again go to this YouTube channel. Um, for me, the past year, you know, a, a year ago. A year plus ago, maybe last year, the first time I even heard of the heliocentric slash geocentric models. I had no idea <laughs> there was such a thing. Um, and as time has gone on, I've kind of weighed both sides. And uh, I've come to realize from my own experience, being a flatlander in the Great Lakes region, being a guy who spent many, uh, some uh, quite about a bit of time on the western shores of Lake Michigan and southern shores of Lake Michigan and sea in Chicago and went discovering that the math doesn't work and that I should not be seeing the Chicago skyline and uh, which makes me think that there's tens of thousands of if not millions of us and who has seen this the fact that we're seeing the Chicago skyline and yet based on math the math of uh, that tells us that we're living a ball, uh, we should not be seeing that. We should not be seeing the complete skyline. So, so how, how many how many miles are you from Chicago? Right now, for me, I live in uh, a suburb of Toledo, Ohio. So I'm the northwest Ohio, right on the Michigan border. I can't, I don't know how many miles, I have to look that up. But, we, you know, vacations, you go to Indiana Sand Dunes or uh, Michigan City or uh, points up all the way to St. Joseph and et cetera. So, you know, I've experienced myself, and I know others have too. But it never registered for me. You know, I never was like, well, the earth is flat. 
I never even knew about the mathematical model that they based the, the, globe, the globe theory on um, until past year. I mean, that's why it's so important what you've done, uh, Jonathan, or John, is, uh, and others like you, is that you've presented the, the information that has never been presented to us. I mean, you're talking to a guy who went to school for environmental management and science, and, I mean, I had experience with, at least with, uh, although it was mostly it was chemistry, organic chemistry and all that, and physics really wasn't my strong point, but I started to understand why it wasn't my strong point, because <laughs> a lot of the math doesn't add up with what I see with my own eyes. So, <laughs> so but, uh, yeah. That's and very plus, true. You know, there's a pretty, I guess it's, uh, I guess you could say, sort of famous picture from Joshua Nowicki of the Chicago skyline from uh, Mir State Park. It's, it's over 50 miles, and you can clearly see the Chicago skyline on the opposite end of the water. Um, both sides are about sea level, and uh, the expected curvature of the Earth is pretty easy to, to figure up. You just uh, multiply the square of the distance in miles. So if it's if it's 50 miles, you say. 50 times 50, that's, you know, 50 squared. Multiply that by 0 0.66666 to infinity, and that renders the expected curvature in feet. So that's, that's the easiest way I've found to do it. Now, the, the only thing is, is you have to figure in your elevation above the, the water level. So if you're about six feet, it's roughly three miles you have to subtract from the total. But uh, that's where the expected curvature should start kicking in at eight inches per mile squared. And yeah, the Chicago skyline should be uh, uh, over a thousand feet or, you know, the base of those buildings should be over a thousand feet below the, the horizon level. And the fact is, is that you can clearly see most of those buildings and that pretty readily proves the earth isn't a ball. So yeah, there's a lot of real, real basic stuff out there that we can point to that, that shows this. Um, and anybody that's seen a horizon, um, or if you have, uh, especially on a clear day in the twilight hours, with, especially if the sun's at your back, you can see way further on a, across a flat plane of water than you should be able to if the, ball, if the world was a ball with a radius of nearly 4,000 miles. So, yeah, pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, just, it just uh, based on the, uh, I don't know who you would call them, the, the, the scientific community and their own uh, yeah, the, the Earth cal uh, Curve Calculator, and you can go online and find this. It's uh, uh, zib, D-I-Z-Z-I-B dot G-I-T-H-U-B dot I-O slash Earth slash Curve. I was say uh, for the folks that are listening and those who will listen in the future, I'll put it in the information box. Where you can find it, you can do your own math, and you can use your own math to actually incriminate them. <laughs> Basically, it's like you know what, uh, it's not flying. So, and uh, you know, also I worked on the railroads. I took Chicago, a freight train to Chicago and um, Toledo, Ohio, and it's literally one of the, if not the straightest uh, rail line in the world. Extremely flat, and it goes for I don't know how many miles. I have to look that up from Chicago to, to Toledo <clears throat> to, for, to answer your question because it is important. Because I just I always remember how flat it was and how far you could see it. You know, we would uh, have a particular type of signal system, so you're always paying attention to whether you had a green or you had a red light and all the other different 
uh, things you had to worry about. But uh, I just thought, you know, man, you could literally, and these, these signals were like a mile apart. You could see four or five, six miles ahead of you. And I'm like, well, how the heck is that? So it's about 244 miles plus to get to Chicago from Toledo. And if you look uh, at a map, you'll see how actually how straight it is almost um, and how um, level it is there too. So uh, for me, it's really easy to buy into all this because my own personal experience. I just need to have someone like you to say, hey, Mike, uh, this is what you're seeing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I understood. Well, and, you know, what I was going to say before was one of the funny things is, is if you Google search, you know, something like how do I uh, calculate the expected curvature of the earth, the top several results with the first answer on the page will be 8 inches per mile, right? But that actually describes just a slanted line, right, a slope, not a curve. And so, indeed, um, anybody can figure up 8 inches per mile squared. Um, it's, again, it's just the distance in miles, you know, squared. So the distance times itself times, you can do eight. So if it was 50 miles, you could do 50 times 50 times eight, and that would render the result in inches. Or you could do 50 times 50 times 0 0.66666 to infinity, and um, that renders the result in feet. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, and speaking of railroads, um, I, don't, I don't know if anybody out there has read Zetetic Astronomy, but uh, written in 1865 by Dr. Robotham, um, he brings up a lot of excellent proofs that are still really the fundamentals of this whole thing. I, I, I believe if it wasn't for Robotham, we would have this thing never would have gotten the attention that it did because there, you know, he did so much basic documented scientific evidence. But one thing that's real important is engineers, um, even in the 1800s you know, they started fooling around trying to include the so-called curve of the earth in their engineering schematics. And what they found was, is when people tried to do that, the results were, were always so uh, unpredictable that uh, it cost a lot of money and a lot of property and a lot of lives. So you can see where it was actually written into law that engineers must absolutely not configure the curve of the earth into their, their designs. And that includes railways, bridges, tunnels, uh, canals, that sort of thing. And so, you know, the way Robotham put it was the, the practical scientific minds of any era uh, all sort of agree by default that there's no curve of the earth. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty wild thing to consider, but um, there's tons of proof that the, the face of the world doesn't possess even one single degree of curvature, no matter how high you get or how hard you look for it. Don't have to convince me anymore. That's for sure. I'm totally <laughs> convinced. I'm totally convinced. So, uh, one of the things I, we talked about in the very first email to you, and that we talked about before the show was that you know, uh, briefly. But <clears throat> I would like to, you know, what happened was, folks, uh, John had an opportunity to have a debate on the Art Bell show, and it pretty much was it, it was not a debate. It was basically uh, a complete mockery and very, I consider very disrespectful and showed a, an example to me. Uh, something similar would be also last night's show. You get a chance, folks, you go to uh, James Fretzer's show, I guess, when Dave and him supposedly had a debate. And by the way, Dave Weiss did a masterful job and in <laughs> about half an hour pointed out quite a few things that would make you think. 
And uh, you're dealing with people like a guy like James Fresser, who has a PhD, and I believe it's in philosophy of science, something of that nature. And you've got to think about the fact that we're dealing with people that have a lot invested into the strong delusion that we're under, the fantasy of the lies, and you know their fear of uh, having you know losing street cred, if you will, or uh, credibility with their own peers, and the fear of losing the opportunity of publishing books. Uh, this is how it works. Go ahead. Go ahead. To, to be fair, and what I would say, to be fair. Um, just over six months ago, I had seen a couple of links on this and totally thought that it was the stupidest thing I had ever heard of because, you know, I've been, uh, I graduated high school, I've got, I went to college, and I, I know my, my math, my science, my physics, my uh, geometry, and, and all that good stuff. Um, but to be fair, I could easily see myself still, you know, being totally snowed in this delusion, which is exactly what it is. It's a very, very powerful delusion, in fact. Um, but I could easily see myself still being in that. And, and really, it was only because of uh, situational circumstance and, I, I guess you could say, serendipity that I even gave this topic, you know, any sort of realistic thought because the, the average person, and, and really most people are, for lack of a better word, trained to ignore this topic altogether. And it has a lot to do with NASA, the Apollo missions, which I don't know if any of you guys out there still believe that the astronauts in the 1960s went to the moon and went and played golf on the moon. But there's basically undeniable (laughs) and unarguable evidence that that was all a big lie. And, you know, we can get into, you know, sort of some of that stuff, but not to sit around and just discredit NASA, um, most people have a, a picture in their mind of where our home is, and it is extremely difficult to consider our home as anything but a spinning ball in outer space. But uh, the fact of the matter is, if you take the time to actually give this topic a, a fair shake and look at the evidence, look at the science behind it, there's actually no possible way that the world could be any sort of sphere, and it's not moving even a single yard per year in terms of axial or orbital motion. So it's, for all intents and purposes, it's a stationary plane. It's not a globe at all. I agree with you. <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, I wasn't knocking at, J- at James Fresser because I, uh, I feel for the guy. I, I feel for a lot of these folks because I've, I've you know, my own personal experience with a lot of people that have been listening to my show have uh, become very upset that I've been promoting this because they feel that I'm under a strong delusion and I'm somehow promoting some uh, NWO agenda. (laughs) Very ironic, I'll tell you, because the very thing that these people, and no offense to anybody because I I would have been right there with you just seven months ago, but the very thing that these people are, are basically accusing you and me of being is exactly what they are, and it's so. I mean, it's it's ironic to the point almost of being comical, but it is very sad because um, this lie has been has been uh, inflicted on us since we were basically toddlers. Um, you know, I can I can remember probably during my first year or two in school having all sorts of uh, you know globe Earth knowledge and infinite space and Big Bang knowledge sort of forced into my paradigm as a gullible little child. And so, you know, I guess you could say that it's, it's pretty easy to, to trick a gullible child into believing just about anything. Um, that could be Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy or the Spinning Globe Earth, which is it really, if you dissect it, it's very illogical and it's easily disproven. So 
people that uh, are first stumbling on this topic will, as a rule, ignore it and believe that it's something way out there, some weird, wild conspiracy. But the, the sad truth is it's just simply the truth, and it's what the Bible had described all this time, starting on page one in Genesis, of the world being fixed, immovable, and um, not, not any sort of spinning sphere whatsoever in the Bible. So pretty interesting. It is very interesting. And then if you look at uh, some point, folks, I am going to read that book, Eros and uh, Magic in the Renaissance, because it's a very masterful piece of uh, information, well, book about how the ruling elite controls our minds and uh, how they use magic. And what is magic? Magic is the use of imagery. And that is what's really has happened to us with the use of the written language, the verbal language, uh, basically the, the masterful use of deception and lying and uh, the propaganda that we're all under. Uh, our heads are full of lies, all of us. No one's you know exempt from this, unless you're you know a, <laughs> a fortunate toddler that hasn't been told all these lies yet. <laughs> you're full of it. And, uh, that's what's been it's been designed. This is part of the great noble lie that we're all living under so but they use that imagery uh, this is how what convinced so many people to believe that the world is flat we have the the magical ball like a crystal ball if you will of the earth spinning <laughs> before you um, uh, but it's not real folks we're looking at something once again that's not real it's imagery it's something that is pumped pumped on us and, and deliberately indoctrinated us from a very early age. So, and one other thing I'm finding, uh, John, is this is one of those linchpins in the House of Cards. If this one's pulled, a lot of the House of Cards will fall, and for better or worse, it will fall. And uh, a lot is riding on this in terms of because. There are there are a lot of conspiracies out there, and, and whether you agree with them or not, you know JFK, 9/11, Sandy Hook, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin, Pearl Harbor, all these different conspiracies that we're aware of. Um, but you know, the ultimate mother of them all is certainly this huge astronomical lie. But at the same time, I think that at some point in history, it was just a model. It was just a hypothesis. And it was it's it is to some extent logical, but it is logically incomplete in terms of the heliocentric model with the Earth as a spinning globe. And um, you know I can definitely understand how scientific minds arrived at this heliocentric model, albeit you know hypothetically they arrived at it. But I can see where at some point it did indeed turn into a huge lie, and that would probably involve. Uh, well, definitely NASA and the Apollo astronauts, but prior to that, um, if you've ever looked into the Antarctic expeditions of uh, Admiral Richard, U.S. Admiral Richard Byrd, um, he did some Antarctic expeditions and, and came back with some with some interesting information that's just sort of overlooked by all you know contemporary history. It seems um, he went down there a couple of different times. The, the flagship uh, mission was was called Operation High Jump where they basically scouted all over Antarctica and found that it was rich in all sorts of uh, minerals and probably plutonium and coal and enough, enough goods and resources to, to fuel the entire world for many, many years. 
And yet, after that, they drafted the Antarctic Treaty, which was signed by in the 50s by a, a few dozen world world nation powers. But now, to this day, the Antarctic Treaty still remains um, with over 50 world powers that have signed off on it, and it essentially makes Antarctica off-limits to corporations, which is sort of odd, especially given all the energy crises we've had over the years, but also just to free travel. You have to have, um, from what I understand, you have to have uh, the okay of the Antarctic Committee, the Antarctic Treaty Committee, and you have to have um, essentially military guidance and supervision in order to do any sort of peaceful scientific research out there. But I guess the main argument for the flat Earth model is that uh, Antarctica isn't a little continent situated at the bottom of a globe. It's actually uh, encompassing all the seven seas uh, all around us in 360 degrees. And uh, the Antarctic is the South Pole on a disc magnet instead of the South Pole on a ball magnet, which <laughs> ball magnets actually don't have the North and South Poles on opposite ends of the sphere. That's not how it would work. Um, disc magnets have the North Pole or the, you know, one pole in the center, and the opposite pole is every point along the outside edge of the, the magnet. And so if you look at, uh, think of the, the world map as sort of a dartboard with the North Pole in the center, and any direction away from the center is south. If you're anywhere on the map, if you go north, you're always heading towards the center. And Antarctica would be essentially a, a wall or a barrier all the way around the entire dartboard. Um, the, well, another way to, to help you visualize the model, just so that you guys know what I'm talking about, if you hadn't heard it this way, um, bullseye is the North Pole. The next ring out on the dartboard is the Northern Hemisphere. The next ring out is the Southern Hemisphere. And then the ring around the outside would be Antarctica. And what continues beyond that point is sort of a mystery. Um, I personally don't believe that you just fall off an edge. I think that there could be much, much, much more land out there beyond Antarctic, or it could stop at any point in between there and infinity. So that's all sort of blurry at the edges. Very cool, man. So, uh, you know, I just want to go a little deeper into this, too, because there is a connection with uh, what I've discovered. Through, uh, if one looks into history and discovers about the Counter-Reformation and the Reformation, the role of the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, yeah, a big part of all this, too, because this, you know, we look at Copernicus and uh, et cetera. All this stuff happened right during the the Council of Trent, and we know that the Jesuits, if you look at their extreme unction, their oath, uh, and what they swear to, and I know every, we all know a Jesuit, a Jesuit priest, or a Jesuit, or, you know, you know, we got a friend, you know, like Jaron, who went to a Jesuit school, and yeah, there's some nice guys who are Jesuits. That doesn't mean they're not deceived, and at the top, there's <laughs> that black pope, you know, who's the head of uh, Freemasonry and everything else. Fascinating thing, you look at the uh, UN map, and really, that's what it's telling you. You got the 33, it's divided in 33 sections, the flat earth, and the uh, laurels, if you look at that, that represents conquest, Roman conquest, and is something that you'll find in very much parts of the Vatican and this Roman Empire that we live in. So the Jesuits really are a big part of it, and one of the ways they went about it is uh, conquering the world is through education. And they're the ones that have been teaching a lot of these things. Are, I'm not quite true, and I really do believe that it's part of the global model is that 
is to just kind of discredit and confuse the Word of God and our own reality and to make us more dependent on them, the priestcraft, if you will. Again, they're like the high priests, if you will, along with other groups. Uh, the, well, what a better, the what a better way to, to dis- and, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but what a better way to discredit Christ than to make a religion in his name, whether, and whether you want to call this the Catholic Church or specifically like the Society of Jesus, which um, if you've ever read their oaths, it's despicable, oh, yeah. um, the things they say. They're, they're certainly not uh, walking in the, in the path of Christ. But then, so you have this organized religion that's a, a for-profit corporation, but tax-free, you know, these days. Um, but you have this uh, this hierarchy that uh, that does things like the Crusades and like the Inquisition in Christ's name. And you know, what a better what if you can think of a better way to discredit Christ and Christianity? You know, I'm all ears because they've done a great <laughs> job of of you know bringing people away from the truth. Well, and, this is what you read, like in Revelation, talks about uh, the the church of the, the Nicolaitans and about this whole division of the priest priestcraft from the laity and how God hates it. And I, you, once you really start researching, you realize that organized religion doesn't matter if it's a Protestant church or, or an Orthodox church or a Catholic church. It doesn't matter what it is. At the hierarchy, it's all designed to keep you from really knowing. The truth. And one of the biggest things I notice is that when with the uh, Gutenberg's uh, printing press and the, the opportunity of guys like Martin Luther, that we know we shouldn't praise men. He's flawed men and a lot of other issues like everyone else. But what, what did happen, folks, is we were, the average person was, had the opportunity to read the Bible. And if you actually read the Bible, I, I, of ironies, of ironies, it actually condemns the Romish Church, and it also condemns all its daughter churches. And one of the things it's, it tells you, God tells you, if you want to know Him, He actually tells you to come out of her, my people. And so, this is something that you have to really deal with, and you have to really look at why organized religion is what it is, what its true design is, and you know, it's an holy alliance with the state. And um, it's all, I think it's all redesigned. Well, isn't that isn't that? And I'm sorry, but well, go ahead. To, to me, really, one of the main points to the entire New Testament, the entire story of Jesus, you know, Yeshua uh, Christ, however you want to call his name, um, but the entire story was about going against a, a corrupt religion, which is exactly what the the Pharisees were. They were corrupt. They they kept the you know they kept the letter of the law but they didn't keep the spirit of the law. Um, it's almost as if they totally missed the and a, you know a lot of Messianic Jews will tell you this um, that the entire church you know all of their 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 dates that they, they they observe and all of the the ceremonies were to remember the prophecies of the coming of Christ and they totally missed it. And you know he he was essentially furious with how they were changing money in the churches and and that sort of thing and and he you know so if you don't take anything away from the story of Christ other than you know established religion is not necessarily what he was all about oh, then totally, I, totally against it exactly yeah that's that's the that's the thing so that's what we were talking about like the Crusades and just all these millions upon billions of people that claim to be Christian and yet uh, we know. And revelations that the dragon gave this system its power, and we look at this system as it colonized the world and killed hundreds, if not billions, of people, 
In fact, the, the Word of God actually says that not only the slain of the, the prophets and the, the saints, but the slain of all on earth. This institution that we're dealing with is responsible for all the deaths on the earth. <laughs> what it is is that this uh, uh, Babylon, Mystery Babylon, uh, Mystery Babylon is uh, something that's going on forever and ever. The high priests of, of Babylon, if you will, um, of Nimrod and uh, Satan and all that, and have been around for thousands of years, and they're the ones who use religion. And, and, and now we're, we're talking about religion, too, today, folks. We're talking about scientism, which is a religion. And, is. Yeah, and, right. and so they're using this, the high priests, uh, men, unfortunately, it's the, the classic example of the blind leading the blind is what it is. And if you put your faith in men and you are concerned about the praise of men, which we're all been programmed to do, you are easy prey for um, being manipulated, as we all have, uh, at all levels. And so as we go through our journey of following the way, the truth, and the life, we desire more and more the truth, we're going to have to face layer upon layer upon layers of walls of this terrible onion, if you will, of deception, and, and, and face it and be honest about it and say, you know, I've been lied about this, I've been lied about that, I've been lied about whether it's politics or it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, there's, you know, and so we're, I, what, I, what I want us to just go to this point is we spent, uh, you know, uh, 30, 30 minutes sometimes kind of talk a little bit about this because you know I talk a lot about this show about religion so people hear a lot about my opinion about religion sure, and, and before, we, <laughs> before we go off that topic I'll just say you know I have nothing against Catholics my mom was raised Catholic I have nothing against Orthodox I was actually raised in a pretty strict Orthodox uh, home and I don't have anything against Jews either for the record uh, my wife's half Jewish on her mother's side so um, if, if anybody tries to label any, anything I say as anti-Semitic, that's hogwash. Um, but w with all that being said, um, if you look at specifically the Vatican, it is a citadel. It's a city-state of its own. It has its own laws and its own police force. And also, Washington, D.C. is one of the main citadels of the world. Yeah. And then Did you, do you know what the original... The city of London. Do you know what the original name of Washington, D.C. was? Um, the the original name. Well, I'm I'm not sure. I've heard a lot of things. I know it's supposed to stand for the District of Columbia. Let me tell you something. This is the historical factual truth. The original name of Washington D.C. was Rome, Maryland. The reason why the White House is called the White House mm -hmm. is it's named after a Jesuit priest called Andrew White. Okay. Yeah, you and learn I, I about the Carroll the Carol brothers, and you got to learn about all this. Because the fact of the matter is, the United States is nothing more than a satellite state of the Roman Empire. <laughs> and I mean, you go on. It really is. Sure, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely is. And I was just going to say, I, I was born in uh, in Virginia, and so I grew up uh, very close to the Potomac River, and and we could swim across from Virginia to Maryland. So th there still is Maryland right there next to Virginia, Virgin Mary, right? Get it? Exactly. You got it. So got there it. are uh, some some strange things there, especially if you look at D.C. and and all the occultic uh, mappings out of it, but. The, the point I was trying to make is that the Vatican is is amongst the, if not the richest uh, city state in the in the whole world. It's the richest and, institution in the world, and it's the yeah. largest landowner in this country. So, absolutely, 
Absolutely. So there, you know, there certainly is a lot to be said about that. But we can, uh, you know, I just wanted to to say that little bit about, you know, where where I'm coming from. I'm I'm certainly not against uh, the religion or you know Christianity, uh, so to speak. But I am against uh, people doing awful, evil things in the name of Christianity. That's where I have my differences with it. So sure. And what has happened, uh, for my research so far, is that the Vatican. Uh, itself being a political institution run by basically Luciferians and Satanists. I mean, the Bible says specifically that it gives us the city-state on seven hills adorned in purple and scarlet and precious stones and gold, etc. Uh, it's power. And that what has happened is that when we talk, yeah, because I have sisters, Roman Catholic, and my brother is Eastern Orthodox. So I mean, it's my mom's a Mormon. So it's really, you know, it's really, it's not about attacking the the average day person, or even let's be honest, even the majority of Jesuits, priests, and all that. It's to deceive, uh, deceive. One religion I will attack openly and probably never endingly is Scientism. Because, see, what scientism does is it uh, takes, you know, we all know the scientific method, which is supposed to be empirical and proving and and 100% accurate and trustworthy. But scientism takes this idea that we all have about the scientific method and transfers it over to theoretical physics, which is all very much theoretical and hypothetical. Uh, the, the law of gravity itself is uh, very much theoretical and is actually fairly easily disproven. But uh, so, so scientism takes all of these assumptions and basically crafts a religion out of it. And if you want to call it something other than scientism, you could probably call it heliocentrism or worship of the sun. So there you go. Absolutely. That's what it all comes. That's the nuts. That's what it's all about. It is about worshiping the sun. This heliocentric model is all about sun worship. And, you know, they just revolved the the pseudoscience around it. So, uh, okay, probably the good idea now is because I really want people, I want to hear it. I want to hear your 20 points that were supposed to be shared on our Bill's show. Sure. And you know what I mean? <laughs> absolutely. And a little background, um, I, I was actually uh, invited to do that debate by Dave Weiss. Um, so he's a, he's a good buddy of, of mine. I love Dave. Um, and what happened was there was somebody else that was supposed to do the debate, and they backed out sort of at the last minute. And so I was told a couple of days or asked you know, a couple of days ahead of time, did I want to do it? And I said, well, sure, because you know, um, I've listened to Art Bell's stuff before, and you know, I, I thought he had some pretty interesting stuff. I wouldn't necessarily say I was a, a devout listener. but So I agreed to it, and um, I had to come up with uh, 20 questions along with any pictures or proofs or whatever. I didn't have much time to do it. But um, I did submit it prior to their deadline, and it was supposed to have been a debate on these 20 points. Um, and, you know, you can listen to it. I believe it was August the 5th, 2015, on the Midnight in the Desert show on Art Bell. Um, also, I have a remix of the debate on my YouTube channel, so um, that sort of highlights the best parts, and it's a little bit more fun. But, uh, okay, so the first question, which they totally skipped and went to the third, but the first question would have been, when was the last time you skeptically scrutinized the GLOBE model? And uh, sort of in parentheses, let me know if clarification is necessary in terms of the definition scrutinized. So with that being said, most people are told that the Earth is a spinning globe when they're about five years old, maybe a little older. But if you actually (laughs) try to remember that conversation the first time you ever told, A lot of people don't remember that conversation because I think 
that is just so such a bizarre thing, and, and kids have a hard time, or at least they did, um, maybe not so much anymore with all of the you know space-age predictive programming on every single television set, but when I was a kid, I, you know, I, I sort of had a hard time coming to terms with, uh, you know, agreeing that the Earth was a spinning globe because it's so, you know, it's sort of bizarre. Um, you know, if you look outside, if you didn't know any better, you'd say, well, you know, the Earth is flat and stationary. So they skipped that question, but I think it's an important one to ask and really ask yourself, when was the last time you skeptically scrutinized the globe model? And in most people's cases, it would have been when they were a toddler. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's a very important point because the scientific method needs to be done by rational thinkers. And let's face it, toddlers aren't the best rational thinkers. I, even adults, I'm almost, I'm almost 48. And to be honest with you, I never rationally, was a, you know, skeptically questioned the, the globe model or any of it. I just, just you know. The, it goes in one ear and out the other for most of us because uh, the way it's presented, right? I mean, it's there is no alternative. I mean, I mean, I never, you know, here's a guy who grew up a Mormon and went on the mission and did all these things. Never once in my life did I ever hear, of course, naturally it would be being a Mormon, that uh, anybody ever said anything about the, the possibility that the world is flat outside of using it as a joke. That's absolutely right. <laughs> part of the part of the standard federal curriculum is that people 500 years ago were so stupid they thought the Earth was flat. Ha ha ha! We know better now because we have science, and so that's their whole position. The whole thing is based on science being, you know, somehow akin to the scientific method. So the second question was is sort of echoing the first one, but when you were first told about the globe model, do you actually remember that conversation with your parent or teacher? And if you, if you actually do try to sit there and remember the first time, most people don't. I don't. But, you know, I, I believe I had a... a it, it didn't even happen for me. It didn't even happen for me, like most people. We never okay. had that conversation. You know what I mean? It's just, here's the, here's the globe. This is it. This is it. I mean, this is the reality. Yep. And a discussion. <laughs> yep. But, but, if you, but it, honestly, most people just don't remember the first time because it's been your whole life. I mean... You know, it's been since a lot of the time since before we could walk or speak. So, you know, this is just sort of setting up uh, the framework of this discussion. And those two points were skipped altogether in the so-called debate on the Art Bell Show. But the third one would be, why don't we have a, a zillion pictures of the Earth from space? Instead, we just have, really, we only had one for years and years and years, you know, the blue marble image, mm -hmm. which is basically in every single documentary, every book, they always use that one image, and everybody knows which one I'm talking about because we've all seen it in every documentary and book. Um, more recently, they've come up with some new ones, but they're all supposedly composites, so they're not even claimed to be real images of the Earth from space. Um, very recently, we've got some animations coming from China and Japan, which are probably just much better faked because of what CGI has become lately. But everything from NASA in terms of the, the Earth from space is either composites or, you know, there's uh, evidence of tampering, Photoshop editing, that sort of thing. And so it, it's a pretty important question to ask with all the thousands or really tens of thousands of satellites that are supposed to be up there orbiting at many, you know, different altitudes and velocities, 
we should have a ton of real images of the Earth from space constantly all day long. And instead, um, we, we've only got this stuff really mainly from the 1960s and 70s, which is a little bit odd. Um, a little bit odd. <laughs> a little bit I, odd. I, this is the issue that got me going on it. When I finally realized that I, at 2015, and not a single one of us have ever seen a complete, full, untampered image of the world that we live on, only a little section coming out of uh, round holes, supposedly in, a, in uh, Apollo spacecraft. Uh, I was like, you know what? This is BS. This is absolutely freaking wrong. This is like the worst thing you could possibly think of. With all the money, the trillions of dollars being spent, and all the, the alleged you know, great adventures that we have, and all the satellites, and blah, 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 and we don't have an image of the world that we live in that's real. And, and, the composites, and a lot of that can be credited to, you know, some people like them, some people don't. Um, but I, I happen to like uh, Matt Boylan, Matt Powerland, a lot of that can be credited to him because up until a point, all of those really obviously fake composite images were being touted by NASA as pictures or actual real images. And uh, Matt went and petitioned them to, and basically told them, you can't call this a picture because it's a composite. You can't call this a picture because it's a painting for years. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty telling when they can't even claim that they have any real images except for very, very recently that, you know, again, Japan and China have been coming out with some stuff, which obviously has some problems, but NASA itself, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can talk about this or, or not, but NASA itself was founded by Nazis, or many of the head uh, founding members of NASA were indeed of the, you know, high up in the Nazi party, and this is right after World War II when um, this, the U.S. government essentially smuggled them into our country via clandestine programs like Operation, uh, Operation Paperclip and uh, basically assimilated these, in, you know, whether, whether you want to call them just peaceful scientists or, or just Nazi evil scientists, you know, that's up for debate. But the point is, is it was, it was deceptive. And one of the things that um, the, the Nazi regime was very famous for was propaganda. Because what they found is, is just by simply uh, making people believe you had some technology or weapon or whatever the thing you, you want people to believe you have or whatever you want to have, um, if you simply make people believe that you actually have these things and are doing these things, it, it still uh, achieves the same effect as if you had, did, if you had, if you had these things and do them. So uh, in, in my estimation, it seems like NASA was uh, set up from the very beginning as more of a propaganda agency than it was a space agency. And the simple fact that it was indeed headed up by Werner von Braun and many, many Nazi regime members secretly after World War II, and none of the U.S. public knew until like 50 years later, it raises some questions about NASA and, you know, were they actually trying to build rockets to go into space? Or were they just trying to convince us that they were building rockets to go into space? Um, the noble lie. The noble lie, but, but also the greedy lie. Because yeah. if, <laughs> if you look at Nikola Tesla, I know I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but if you look at Nikola Tesla, he died in 1943. So that was a hot time in terms of World War II. Um, but the, he had developed 
methods to basically achieve what we have with the Internet and GPS and long-range instant communications. Back then, he had figured it out. But when he died, that technology wasn't released to the public. He wanted it to be available to people for free, but instead um, Morgan uh, backed Edison, discredited Tesla, and so instead of having JP GPS, JP Morgan, right, instead of having GPS and cell phones 50 years ago, they waited until they supposedly launched satellites into space um, in order to achieve something that can be done with ground-based systems. And so there's a whole lot of uh, motive to, for them to trick people into thinking that we had to spend gobs of money sending stuff into space in order to simply achieve something that should have been free, but instead we have to pay every month for it. And so there's your motive, or one motive. And it's part of that. It's part of enslaving the populace. Plus, you know, um, it's another layer of enslavement. Um, we look back of, you know, uh, of Operation Paperclip, and we also have to, to tie in there, most people don't even know about is the, the rat lines. How many of these guys were associated with the Jesuit-controlled Vatican and how they uh, were the ones, I mean, in this, even uh, Hitler, it's, it's pretty much documented and proved at this point that Hitler didn't even write Mein Kampf. It was actually a Jesuit priest who wrote it. Um, we look at the, the motive behind it all. We, you mentioned earlier about sun worship and that the very high uh, levels of all religions, but at the top it is Rome, it is the Vatican. Um, that is this whole pagan desire of sun worshiping, of uh, convincing people that um, <laughs> the world is, is not what it is, um, Satanism. Um, but yeah, the, the, you can look over and over again. If you see, that's what my research has been about the Jesuits. And it's an unpopular topic. It is a, prop, a topic that really troubles a lot of people. But we have to deal with it if we're really going to, you know, pursue the truth and who's at the top of these things. And so we look at Operation Paperclip. Uh, the fact that uh, it was the uh, the Jesuit-controlled uh, Roman, well, the, the Vatican itself that was instrumental in sending all these uh, Nazi scientists back here to uh, our country. But it's interesting, too, at the same time, I don't know if you knew this, but the fasci that's in the House of Representatives that you'll see on either side of, uh, you know, when they're having an address. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That that was installed right at that same time in 1945, 1946 era. That's when those fasci were put in. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, I mean, even like the Roman salute that the Nazis used a um, hundred years ago, they, plus we have photographs of the school's system had the, uh, the, the students wouldn't put their hand across their heart. They're actually doing a Roman salute. We have pictures of it. We know that was the case and that with World War II and all that, and one, they, they slowly uh, took that out of the school system because of, naturally, because they needed us to be hating well, you know, the, the, old, the old saying, the, the world is a stage, is a lot more true than you think. Um, and, you know, not to go off too much on a tangent on, on this aspect of it, but if, if NASA 
was actually sending, and there may be, you know, even on a flat Earth model, you may be able to send things into so-called orbit, but instead of going around a ball, they're just going around the central point of the known universe, which is fixed at the magnetic North Pole, again, the dartboard center of the map. And so the, the question is, though, if they can achieve these ends with ground-based, Tesla-based technology, and they're tricking us into thinking they have to go to space, then it, it makes a lot of sense that they would use propaganda masters to achieve this, but mm -hmm. also if you look at the history uh, leading up to World War II, America was very much aligned with a lot of the, the Nazi ideologies, including um, essentially you know, what Planned Parenthood came from, which is social engineering. Um, Ford was sending a lot of uh, uh, vehicles and such over there to help the Hitler war machine. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, the Bush connection where uh, – George W. Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, was literally uh, allegations were slung at him for trading uh, under trading with the Enemy Act laws um, for supporting with, uh, I believe, finances for the UBC Banking Corporation, as well as, you know, he was providing literally the metal for, for the Nazi war machine. And so for people to, you know, demonize Hitler as this mad, you know, single-handedly taking over the world guy, that's a fallacy because he had a lot of U.S. support uh, before, during, and after the war. Um, now, with that being said, terrible atrocities were, were done over there, not just to Jews, but definitely to the Jews, um, also other races. But um, from what I understand it, most of the people that died in the concentration camps in you know, Poland and in Germany actually died due to typhoid because the Allies had uh, basically destroyed all of the supply lines you know, leading into Germany and to Poland. And so they simply weren't being restocked with food and medicine. And, and a lot of people died unnecessarily. Um, but there's, you know, the number from 6 million keeps dropping down to you know, by many, many folds. Um, on the other hand, in Russia, you know, you had the, the gulags where millions and millions and millions of people died in these work camps. And so I think it's real important that we, you know, we don't necessarily demonize, demonize the Nazi scientists because history demonizes them. But at the same time, the, the whole reason that I like to point this out is because NASA was set up as a deceptive organization. So that's very clear if you actually study the history with any sort of, uh, you know, open mind. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense to me why they would, you know, trick people into, you know, getting what they want, which was ultimately to bill us nickel and dime us and, and just essentially rape, the, rape us uh, for, for things that we should be provided for free. Um, Tesla wanted to provide those same exact things um, like GPS, like internet, like worldwide communications, like electricity, to everyone for free. And God, could you think of what a better place um, the world would be today if Tesla would have had his way instead of J.P. Morgan having his way with Thomas Edison? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> totally <laughs> been, different. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, the more you 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 research this, the more you realize how amazing Tesla really was and what he was offering us. And now you understand why they kind of, um, well, they not only marginalized them, but they kind of made him into this m mythical, mysterious figure that was a bit crazy and they really didn't really have his head on straight. Um, well, he was, the, he was the, the grandfather of radio technology as we know it, so he certainly was brilliant. Now, yeah. another, another little sort of connection and tangent to make here, and this has to do with J.P. Morgan, 
was he, he was basically the guy that came up with the VIP guest list on the Titanic, and that sunk six months prior to the Federal Reserve Act being sunk. And it is argued that uh, the, the people who were on that guest list were just so happened to be people who may have stood in the way and may have been able to prevent the Federal Reserve Act, which the Federal Reserve Act is the number one act of treason that was ever, you know, uh, continuing to this day, the number one act of treason that's ever occurred in, in uh, certainly American history, probably world history, if you're talking about number of dollars that they've robbed from the civilian population for the last 102 years. Yeah, and it was funny, too, even that the whole incident about the Titanic is, uh, I mean, they had, uh, <clears throat> was it, uh, what's the name of that? Unsinkable, what was the name of that? They had yeah, a book, a good, oh, a Futility, book. Futility was the name of the book. It was written back in 1898 that predicted almost verbatim the whole incident of the Titanic it was written by Morgan Robinson and his yep. connections with, uh, once again, there's a strong connections with the Jesuits and then singing of the Titanic. And um, along well, with... On April 15th, which just so happens to be tax day. So if there's, <laughs> that's just a coincidence, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. And then there's a question if it actually, the Titanic was actually soccer. So another one, so... Uh, I don't know. Right, well, I, I believe it was actually the Olympic, which was an which was an older ship that was almost about to be decommissioned. So what they did was not only did they pull a huge uh, insurance scheme and and got paid you know primo insurance uh, rates on a brand new ship that uh, supposedly sank, but instead at the last minute they switched it out with the old one that was about to be retired anyway that had damage to the hull right where uh, the Titanic was found to have damage and. Um, where the T and the A fell off of the Titanic when they actually went down there, there was actually the the real letters beneath it, which showed, like I believe it was M and Y, so it was the Olympic and not the Titanic that sunk. So a lot of tomfoolery <laughs> going on there for sure. But. Well, you know, it's it's one of the uh, it's another one of the example of the fact that false flag operations have always been, and we've always lived with this. It wasn't just you know 9/11 was the first time it happened, or the Bay of Tonkin. Or the, um, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Gulf of Tonkin, Pearl Harbor, all the false flags to get it. Uh, yeah. yeah, to get the Americans acting of the war. I mean, if you've ever read, if you've ever read uh, the Art of War. Uh-huh. Uh, Yep. You, know, one, the, you can't have a war without the backing of your people. It just doesn't work, not just for philosophical reasons, but you, you know, you'll end up getting overthrown if you don't have your people's absolute 100% backing. And the best way to do that is through fear and, and of course, predictive programming. So, um, and the other thing is deception. The, very, the most important element in all of war is deception. Absolutely. My, my grandfather was attending Harvard School of Engineering when he, uh, Pearl Harbor occurred, and, and he was compelled to go and, and join up. So, yeah, a lot of deception. Um, so moving right along to number four. <laughs> <laughs> you, could spend, uh, you could spend three, you know, four or five shows just on question three, so let's go on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and we sort of covered this, but the fourth question, and I've got some pictures here, but you can just look up Joshua Newicki, Chicago skyline from, I believe it's Mir State Park. Um, but how can we see vertical perpendicular buildings from over 50 miles away? They should be a quarter mile below the horizon. And Dr. Josh Grinley, who was a Harvard astrophysicist and on many advisory boards to NASA, his answer to that question was, that's correct. 
so he admitted that the uh, buildings seen from 50 miles away is impossible on a sphere Earth. So that was a, a, a win in the debate, although they just sort of talked around it and changed the subject. Um, <laughs> the next one, number five, was how can a westbound flight from New York to L.A. have identical duration on a globe spinning about 1,000 miles per hour east um, you know, when the return flight is identical in duration with the, the westbound flight? So the, the reason this is a problem, and I've got a little little PDF graphic here. I'm, I don't know if I'm sharing it or not. I guess I'm not. But uh, this was taken in May. I did a search for Los Angeles to New York flights and then New York to Los Angeles flights. And it was Virgin America was 5 hours, 35 minutes, 5 hours, 35 minutes returning. Delta was 545, uh, 550 returning. So it's hey, pretty hey uh, John, if you want, you can send me the PDF on Skype, and then I can send it to the folks in the chat room. If you want. Sure. Yeah, give me one second. That way they can go and you can see. And uh, does it go from question to question so that you know, they know the right yeah, it's, it's a 21-page uh, PDF. I'll send five. So I'll send it to the folks, and then they can sure. They can look at it as well, and uh, I'll give them some. And there's some typos on there. I sort of hammered this thing out in an hour. So. We'll forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, if, uh, if anybody listens to me, they should forgive you. I put my, put my mouth in every show, so <laughs> I do have to do a lot of I think I just sent it to you. If you didn't get it, let me know. Yeah, it's right there. Art Bell's okay. questions, artwork, PDFs. So yep. It'll take a little while, folks, here, and then when it's done, I will... Open it up and send it to you. And so, so go ahead. The, the reason this number five was so important to me, anyways, um, because I had a question about this the first time I ever took an airline flight. Did I lose you? No, that's just the, oh, uh, okay. the PDF uh, open download. Yeah. Okay, no worries. Um, but the first time I ever took an airline flight, I was about 10 or so. I, I flew from uh, Florida to Texas to Dallas Fort Worth. And um, I was a little bit confused as to why the westbound flight was the same as the eastbound flight. Because I was thinking, you know, naturally the westbound flight should be a lot shorter since the face of the Earth is supposedly spinning somewhere around 750 to 800 miles an hour at that latitude. Um, and so I asked, you know, my, my aunt, I believe, and my dad, and I was just told, oh, because everything's spinning at the same speed prior, prior to takeoff, so it maintains that angular velocity for the duration of the flight, and bada-bing, bada-boom, you've got identical flights. But... Um, the thing is, is uh, if you look at the Coriolis effect, which is supposedly a proof of the spinning globe Earth, and the, essentially what the Coriolis effect actually is, um, a good way to demonstrate it is if you're on a merry-go-round while it's spinning, if you're on one side of it and somebody's directly opposite you on the other side of the axis, if you throw it directly to the, if you throw them a ball directly at where they're at while it's spinning the ball will appear to veer off to the side, depending on which direction the thing is spinning. And that's the Coriolis effect. Essentially, what it means is that objects fixed to a rotational frame of reference will not remain fixed to that rotational frame of reference once they are compelled in a direction contrary to the constant, you know, rotating around the curvature or the center of curvature. And so airplanes have many, you know, several jet engines attached, which compel them in a direction contrary to the spinning Earth. So the westbound flight should be racing towards the destination, and the destination should also be racing towards the nose of the plane. Um, but in fact, the two duration, you know, the duration from New York to LA is often identical to the return flight. So that's very solid evidence that the Earth is not spinning at all. Um, 
and people will argue this with different points, but if you actually do consider this and, and test it out with different, there's different ways you can sort of demonstrate this, the merry-go-round is a good one. Um, but yeah, anything uh, plane may be fixed with the so-called eastward velocity of the spinning Earth before takeoff, but once it starts hauling butt in the opposite direction, it would absolutely not maintain that rotational frame of reference, and so the, the identical durations very well proves that worth is, the world is stationary. Um, number six, uh, how does the North Pole star Polaris maintain alignment with our North Pole for any duration? Um, so this is sort of hard to explain, but if you're anywhere on the Earth north of uh, or even at the Tropic of Capricorn, which is far south of the equator, you can see the North Pole star, you know, basically to the north. And if you sort of think about this in a spinning globe Earth model, that's impossible. Um, the, the North Pole star couldn't uh, be seen above the axis if uh, you can't see the stars during the daytime. The Earth is supposedly tilted at a you know, 66.6 degree angle from the uh, horizontal. Um, but so you, basically, if you look at the diagram I've got here, again, I sent it to you, but there's absolutely no way in reality you could see the North Pole Star Polaris from Capricorn, but also there's no way in reality that you could see the, the North Pole Star Polaris above the axis all night, all year. Um, in fact, you should be looking in completely opposite ends of space in summer and winter, um, but instead, we can see the North Pole Star all year. Um, so that's a pretty good proof the Earth is not a spinning globe that anyone can verify. Um, number seven, how have the celestial astrological configurations remained fixed without any change over thousands of years, given the apparent rotational motion of the galaxy and the apparent explosion of expanding universe in the Big Bang model? And you know, this was one I thought about a lot, you know, for years of my life, just a regular globe earther. I just thought it was sort of odd that the constellations never changed if the universe was a big explosion and most of the stars that we can see are supposedly, you know, spinning around a galaxy. Um, we'd have all sorts of parallax change, but no, the, the flat earth model makes a lot more sense where the earth is flat and the stars are essentially on an astral plane for lack of a better phrase, and uh, all the stars with the North Pole d directly in the center, directly above the center dartboard above the North Pole, all of those stars, whatever they are, they're certainly not millions and trillions of light years away, but they're all spinning above our heads once a day. So is the sun. Um, mathematically, just to give you all this tidbit, um, you can prove that the sun is about three to 4,000 miles away using plane trigonometry. Um, however, if you assume the Earth is a sphere and use spherical trigonometry, that's where you get the nonsensical number of 93 million miles away from the sun. So, with that being said, we'll go to number eight. And did you did you have any questions, or do you want me to expand on any of these so far? Or? The only uh, the biggest thing, well, you know, not really. I mean, numbers. See, uh, the number five, uh, the flight thing. Really, that's just common sense, isn't it? Well, it, it is and it isn't. It is and it isn't because, see, here's how the arguments go against that. The first one is everything's spinning east of the ground before takeoff, and they maintain that eastward velocity for the duration of the flight, and so they're exactly the same either way. But the, the problem is, is that objects traveling in opposite directions 
have a higher relative speed. So think of it this way, you know, this is just a very basic stupid example, but if you're on the highway doing 65, the car on your right is going in the same direction at 64, and then the car coming towards you on the other side of the freeway is coming at you at 65, well, the relative difference between you and the car going in the same direction would be one mile an hour, so you'd be doing one mile an hour faster than him. However, the car coming towards you on the other side of the freeway, your relative speed is going to be 130 since you're both doing 65. And so just simply because objects traveling in opposite directions have a higher relative speed, then yeah, it's absolutely common sense. But then people will say, oh, well, the atmosphere is spinning with the face of the Earth, and that's why they're identical. But if you think about it, then a westbound flight should sort of experience a 750-mile-an-hour headwind, but they don't. Um, <laughs> furthermore, the, the globe-Earth model entails the upper-upper atmosphere, which is supposedly very, very thin and hardly any barometric pressure up there, but the upper atmosphere is somehow remaining fixed above the ground below. However, it would be traveling on a much larger arc, and so therefore the upper-upper atmosphere must be going faster and faster and faster east than the ground in order to stay above it. And furthermore, isn't space an infinite vacuum? Well, how does the, the thin, you know, barely dense, no-pressure upper atmosphere, how is that not sucked out into infinite space? Uh, infinite space. And so the answer is, well, it's gravity, mm -hmm. uh, right? But gravity, and, you know, I, I think I touch on this as well, but gravity doesn't make any sense on the globe Earth model for a couple reasons. Um, I've gone into pretty good detail on a couple of my videos dispro disproving gravity, um, but people will say, well, what are you talking about? If I hold my arm out and drop my pen, it falls to the ground. So the Earth is a spinning globe, and we have gravity, right? That's the logic. Mm -hmm. But I can guarantee you that the pen falling to the ground works just as well, if not better, on the flat Earth model with the simple proven laws of density and buoyancy. Um, gravity is merely a theory that sort of hinges on the world being a spinning globe. That's the only reason we need gravity. And... Um, Density and buoyancy explains what goes up must come down perfectly on the flat stationary Earth model. Um, now, physically, in order for density and buoyancy to work, you must have a tendency for heavier, denser objects to want to go down towards the ground, and lighter, less dense objects tend to float up. So a good example would be a hot air balloon flies because of this principle and an apple falls from a tree because of this principle, and we don't need gravity. And so that, does that sort of make sense on that point? Yeah, it does. I mean, gravity is going to be one of those issues that's going to be hard for a lot of people to buy into because, once again, just like the globe, maybe even more intensely has been this whole notion of gravity and how that's this magical, godlike principle they have all this godlike characters is the one who uh, uh it causes all this to happen it's just the magic of gravity the g if you will maybe in freemasonry um maybe um uh, whatever it may be the fact of the matter is it's like the fall to uh, or, uh answer if you will for everything you know it didn't have an explanation that again you know justify something that's gravity and uh oh read, yeah read the read the wiki uh definition of gravity it's pages and pages of all these ifs and uh gravity causes uh 
you know, objects to fall. Gravity causes the, the moon to orbit the Earth. Gravity causes the Earth to orbit the sun. But, you know, in order for this to work, uh, the, the vacuum of space-time, which contains nothing, sort of must act as a tether between unrelated bodies, and yet we can't detect any single trace of these gravity waves that should be very powerful, especially coming from the sun, especially coming from the center of the so-called galaxy that's compelling the sun to you know, fly around in a parabolic curve at a half a million miles an hour. So, yeah, gravity just explains all these things, and we've sort of been uh, taught... You know, of course we have gravity. What goes up must come down. That's the association that we form. And so for someone to say there isn't gravity, there's no need for it, people sort of think you're stupid. But here's something, here's something I like to point out that shows that gravity doesn't work in reality. Um, if you're standing at the equator, um, the, the globe Earth heliocentric conventional model says that you're traveling eastward with the face of the Earth rotating 1,037 and a half miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So that's over, uh, th- that's faster than the speed of sound. Um, physis- you know, physis- physicists, not physicians, <laughs> physicists will say, oh, well, that's not very fast in re- relation to the massive spinning Earth. And, you know, that may be true, but, but what about in relation to, to you, the observer? Is 1,037 miles, 1,037 and a half miles an hour fast? Uh, you know, of course it is. That's really fast, and so uh, the amount of centrifugal or centrifugal forces generated by a body with the radius of curvature of 4,000 miles, which is what the Earth supposedly is, um, that body zipping around at over 1,000 miles an hour is supposedly, that outward thrust or centrifugal force is supposedly negated by gravity, and gravity would have to be the equal and opposite to that centrifugal force. Um, necessarily would have to act act as like sort of a steel cage between you flying off the earth or you being stuck to the ground and walking around like nothing spinning at all. So gravity would have to be very, very, very powerful to achieve that. On the other hand, if you travel to the North Pole, to the North Pole, you'd be spinning at half the speed as the hour hand on a 12-hour clock. Um, Not only that, but at the North Pole, you'd be standing on top of and parallel with the axis, spinning half the speed is the hand, the hour hand on a 12-hour clock. Yet at the equator, you're standing perpendicular to the axis, spinning over a thousand miles an hour. Um, the amount of gravity needed to keep you pinned to the Earth at the equator should squash you like a bug and render you as a pancake at the North Pole. But in fact, uh, a ton of coffee at the equator still weighs about a ton at the North Pole, and there is a slight variance in weight. Um, you weigh a little bit more at the North Pole, but that's actually, it turns out, is very much in line with the barometric pressure. Um, if you take a barometric pressure reading on average and by record, it's always much, much higher at the North Pole. As you travel south towards and beyond the equator, that barometric pressure gets lower and lower and lower and lower, and it perfectly explains why you weigh a little bit more at the North Pole but you certainly aren't squashed by a bug by this overwhelming force of gravity that would necessarily be the equal and opposite to the centrifugal force generated at the equator. So it's very much, uh, if you can sort of wrap your head around that, um, the proof is a ton of coffee weighs the same at the North Pole as it does at the equator, essentially. You know, you can practically say that, and that proves the Earth isn't a spinning globe. 
Um, furthermore, um, if you take, uh, let's just say you take two one-pound weights, one in each hand, and stretch your arms out, spin around, uh, you'll feel a, a slight outward pull on your arms. But if you change those to two 10-pound weights and spin around at the same speed, there, there's going to be a greater tug out on your arms. And so the other thing is uh, weight increases with mass at the equator, which is the opposite of what you'd expect on a spinning globe. As you increase that weight, the outward tendency should increase. And so therefore, if the Earth was a spinning globe, heavier objects or more massive objects should be lighter at least at the equator. So those two points right there adequately prove that the Earth is not a spinning globe, yet again. So that's just number eight. I got 12. <laughs> Keep on going, brother. I, sure. Okay. I got, I got uh, plenty of questions, but I don't want to derail you. So. Okay. Well, I've got, I mean, I'm just reading through my PDF here, so if you want to stop and if you want to break that down or any of that down a little bit? Well, no, I was just thinking about what you're saying there, and just like an equator, we're thinking about the atmosphere and how it's much more denser and heavier. In well? And then at the North Pole, supposedly, it's much lighter. Well, no, 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 it's the opposite. The the atmospheric that, pressure is, is more prevalent at the North Pole, and as you travel south towards and beyond the equator, it's just a gradient decrease in barometric pressure as you go south. And again, we're talking about away from the center on the flat Earth map. And so if you weigh slightly more at the North Pole than you do, say, at the equator, it's, it's in line with that change in barometric pressure on average and by record. Um, does that sort of – does that well, – Well, no, I'm, I'm just uh, – maybe it's my mistake in associating humidity and that kind of thing with the, the you know, the equator and all that kind of stuff with – what you're saying. Well, you know, I'm thinking it's like the North Pole, related. if you go there. Temperature is related, but remember, colder stuff uh, contracts, and so it's denser, and hotter stuff expands, and so it's lighter per cubic, well, okay. you know, whatever measurement. Thanks for correcting me on that. There we go. Well, no, but I understand what you're you know, saying. Here's, here's, here's another thing, too, I was just thinking about as well. Uh, so here's a guy who's uh, about almost 15 years younger than me, maybe 15 years younger than me, and this is... <clears throat> What is necessary, if you want to know the truth, you have to humble yourself and say, you know what? Yeah, I might be 48 years old, and I might know a lot about my own personal life and experience, but you know what? I have learned so much more from guys who are 10, 20, 20 years younger than me, more than the guys who many times are 10, 20 years older than me. And well, Joe, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I learned that a long time ago, but uh, it, it was actually it was in Zetetic Astronomy as well. Uh, which was written in 1865. So I learned that from a guy who's older than all of us put together. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess the point is, is you, 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 this whole, you know, because we just part of it, uh, we're conditioned to uh, be too judgmental and, and judge people based on uh, what we understand the world to be. And we have to be a lot more humble and be willing to listen to somebody that normally we wouldn't have listened to before. You know, well, I, you know, I grew up in Florida, and, and by the way, I was born in Virginia, moved to Florida when I was about eight, and it was certainly like a culture shock going from mountainous place to a very, very flat place, because Florida is also very, very much flat. Well, on average, it's supposedly about three feet above sea level, which sort of raises some questions about the curvature as well. Yeah, um, right? big time. Big time it does. They say that, that sea level is where the sea would be if it, if it, if it was if you were at the sea on that part of the curve, but since Florida
Minnesota is hundreds of miles wide. It should sort of be well above three feet above sea level, but it's not. Um, but uh, no, but being in Florida, you know, it is very humid, muggy. You know, you can almost swim outside on a on a muggy day, um, just swimming in the atmosphere. But uh, so I, I do know what you're saying. That yeah, if you've got a lot of water and stuff in the atmosphere. Well, the other thing I wanted to bring up just a little bit. I know I'm derailing the the. the no, no, you're fine. The discussion and the um, your points, but uh, going back to the North Pole, the thing that's really bothering me the most. I guess I'm a visual guy and I'm an artist, so you know that's the way it is. So I can understand completely. Uh, oh gosh, what's his name again? The artist released work from NASA that you mentioned earlier. Um, oh, Matt, Matt Boylan, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, he his present presentation to me is like, oh, of course, because that's what I do all the time. And a lot of my stuff I do is we call non-objective abstract art, which basically means it's nothing but playing with colors. Right. And just a big fancy way of saying it, you know, to make it more like, you know, it's worth something maybe. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was thinking about the North Pole in particular, and I'm like, you know, do we have any pictures of the North Pole, really? Because the things that I've seen that suggest that it's North Pole are blurry. Well... I've I've asked around, um, and I've talked to a lot of people in Alaska, but I, I've never personally met anyone that's been that far north. Um, there there are supposedly the first person to travel to the North Pole was in the early 1900s. Uh, his name escapes me. I actually mentioned it in one of my videos, but uh, even that was hotly debated. Even to this day, it was just a. Uh, an expedition up to the North Pole, and you know they claim to have went there and come back, but people were basically calling it out as uh, unreliable. So who knows? Um, I know that you can see the 24-hour. There's some some good videos online where you can see the 24-hour sun in the center. Right. Um, or clo it's in a, at, it's in Alaska, so it's close to the center, close to the Arctic Circle, I guess you'd say, um, where you can see the 24-hour sun. And what happens is, is the sun goes all the way around, and you can see it. It sort of goes down a little bit and comes back up as it goes around, but it never sets for a few days. And the way that that behaves also proves that the Earth is stationary and the sun's not spinning around. Um, we actually, I just, <laughs> this is a good, really, really good one, and I just ran into this the other day on Mr. Thrive and Survive's channel. Um, it's, a, it's sort of hard to explain, but the sun, if the sun is essentially stationary and we're spinning and you're at the North Pole in the northern summer, the sun shouldn't go all the way around you. It should appear to go left, back and forth, left and right, left and right, left and right in the sky. And if you sort of model this out and, and see what I'm saying, uh, the 24-hour, the, the way the 24-hour sun behaves in the Arctic Circle proves the Earth is stationary and the sun is actually going in circuits around um, it's basically oscillating circuits from uh, Cancer to Capricorn and back in the course of a year. Um, there's some questions raised as to whether the sun is a physical object or if we're just, you know, sort of seeing light waves filter through the different layers of atmosphere. And so that may mislead us or skew our vision as to where the sun is or what the sun is. But... Um, there, there's some really great proofs uh, on Mr. Thrive and Survive. I would definitely check that out. Um, check out his channel, too. Um, but, okay. Yeah. So, number, uh, was, that, was that it, or did I just go way off on it? No, I, you know, I want you to keep going with yours. Thinking. I have a ton sure. of questions. And, I mean, just sure. like today's, today's drive, when I was driving to Golden South, and I was, you know, the sun was ahead of me, and there was clouds, and there was, 
uh, not been raised and how they were so localized. And it makes you think, really, it has to be a lot closer than it, they, they were telling us. But uh, go on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so number nine here is why, why is the Earth, I, I guess I should have put, why does the Earth appear flat and stationary when viewed from a weather balloon? Um, you can pull up weather balloon footage from 10, 20, 30, 40 miles, and the horizon line always raises with the observer. Um, if we lived on a sphere, as you gained that sort of altitude, you should have to look lower and lower and lower to see the horizon line, but instead, it, it always raises with you um, very gracefully as you ascend. And so um, the, the Earth couldn't be a, any sort of ball in, in that case, because again, as you gain altitude, you, you should have to look lower and lower and lower to, you know, for your line of sight to meet with the horizon. So that makes sense? Sure. And anybody, I mean, I've got some, you know, I've obviously put a bunch of them in my videos, but uh, one thing to look out for is uh, if you use a fisheye lens, I'm not sure if, you're from, if you guys are familiar, but a fisheye lens is one of those weird, you know, extreme condition uh, lenses that makes everything appear to be sort of curvy and wrapped around a ball. Well, if you, if you do try to look up uh, weather balloon footage, just try to find one that doesn't use one of those because you'll see that the, the horizon is actually a perfectly eye-level, flat, equidistant circle all the way around the observer, um, but it's not wrapped around any sort of ball whatsoever. Um, so there you go on that. Uh, number 10, how can the, and we sort of touched on this too, but uh, how can the upper atmosphere be adjacent to the vacuum of outer space? Mm -hmm. Gravity. Okay. And, and of course there's the argument too about that as well. Is that <clears throat> If a rocket, they shot a rocket up there, what would happen if you went for the atmosphere straight into a, a vacuum? What would happen? Right, because in order, because again, their whole argument, the whole globe Earth argument involves the atmosphere sort of being Velcroed to fly around in space with the Earth. Um, but what is compelling, again, first off, what's compelling those little, very much spread out particles of thin atmosphere high up there, what's compelling them to behave like the Earth flying around the sun? Um, but that's the argument is, oh, everything's like Velcroed to the earth and sticks with it perfectly, but that doesn't make any sense. It, I mean, it really doesn't. Um, you, you'd think, okay, so let's see. The earth is supposedly going around the sun on a parabolic curve at 6,600 miles an hour. Not kidding. It's 18.5 miles per second, I believe. Um, and then the sun is supposedly going around the galactic center at nearly 500,000 miles an hour. I think it's like 480-something thousand. And then on top of that, the galactic center is supposedly hauling butt through space. Um, you know, all the galaxies are supposedly going in different directions as a result of the Big Bang. Um, but the, the galaxy is supposedly hauling butt through space at even faster than a million. I think it's 1.3 million. So you have all this motion, the galaxy going 1.3 million, the sun going around a parabolic curve at 500,000, the earth going around that at 6,600 miles an hour, and all these different velocities, sometimes they're going in similar manners, sometimes they're going in contradictory manners, and yet sometimes we can stand here on the earth and not a single leaf will rustle in the wind. And so it's just so beyond... Uh, illogical, this whole heliocentric model, when you really start breaking down all these assumptions and tenets um, that we've all just sort of swallowed since we were toddlers, um, 
but so with that in mind, yeah, the atmosphere would have to end somewhere and space would have to begin just beyond that. And so, yeah, when a rocket flies up through the atmosphere, everything's Velcroed together, going the same velocity. But then at some point, the, there would be a huge change in velocity once the rocket escaped the atmosphere. And furthermore, rockets wouldn't even work in a vacuum because there's no, uh, in order for aerodynamics and, and even rockets to work, you have to have sort of like back pressure. Um, aerodynamics doesn't work in a vacuum. So once that rocket left the atmosphere, it would have no way to control it. It would just have to, it would just sort of start spinning end over end and explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so, so, so the, the rationalization is, is that it's a vacuum, but it's not a vacuum, right? Because what they're saying is they're telling us all it's a vacuum, but in order for it, has, but yet there's something still there for the rockets to, to push against. Accelerate against, which means there's still something like right. Atmosphere. Well, not not only that. That's absolutely right. I mean, if you look at Newton's laws of of motion, of motion, yeah, it it would have nothing to push against. But furthermore, um, the only reason a rocket stays, you know, on course and going sort of in a straight, controllable line is because there's air pressure that's sort of pushing in on all directions, starting with the nose, which is a point. And if you don't have that inward pressing in all directions. Um, even a slight, uh, you know, tilt in any direction is going to way overcompensate. And yeah, it just totally doesn't make any sense how rockets would be able to propel themselves through space for for those two very reasons. It, yes. doesn't, make any, it doesn't make any sense. So if they can't do that, that's another verification that they never went to the moon and they can't send some kind of probe. A lot of them are named after Jesuits. Freemasons <laughs> out into space to see anything. Oh, not only that, but they're all, they also name uh, all the planets and a lot of the missions after uh, you know fallen angels and the the Nephilim. <laughs> I know it just gets right. Yeah, it, it's just a big slap in your face over and over again. But it's a it, <laughs> and then they're talking about fake images of the Earth, and now we're going to deal with fake images of the planets that they say that they've seen. So, but if, you know. It just goes on and on and on. What's your next point? <laughs> sure. And, and, uh, no, I don't want to rush you if you want to talk about any of this stuff, but I mean... No, no I'm, it's fine. I, I'm you're, you're, like type, you're like the type of guy, just like Jaron and, and Dave, uh, and, that I can, you know, literally, we could do a 10-hour show over and over again. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's so, so I don't, interesting. I could, it's so interesting because... You know, when when you first when anyone first hears about this, they're going to think, oh, God, these people are crazy. Why would I waste my time with this? And that's exactly the programming. I mean, really. But when you actually do start to think about this stuff and break it down and even do experiments, um, yeah, it's, it's just very compelling and, and so daggone interesting. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned planets. Uh, if you look at the etymology of the word planet, it, it seems like, you know, originally the words that they were using were describing a plane, and they sort of applied that to the wandering stars at some point, and then, you know, now we live on a planet too, right? So the logic of it is when we look in our telescope, we can see what appear to be spheres flying around in the night sky, so therefore we live on a sphere flying around in the night sky. And and that's sort of the, the logic that we have to just assume in order for this to work, because... For, for all intents and purposes, our world is, is totally unique. There's nothing up there like it. 
and all of the celestial bodies, all of the, the objects in the night sky are, are merely features of, of the possibly infinite plane Earth. So uh, it's, it's, it's probably the most interesting scientific and philosophical thing you can even think of. So, you know, they, they've done a great job keeping it out of people's mind by ridiculing it. Absolutely. And if you look at uh, – last night I, uh, I did a, a show on, uh, from the book by Ernest L. Martin. It's called The Star That Astonished the World is the Star of Bethlehem. In fact, I'm, I'm planning on uh, – what I'm going to do is read the whole book on my show as it lead up to, quote-unquote, Christmas, Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's fascinating because when you look at these folks, these desert dwellers, 2,000 years ago, and how, you see, they, you know, as was, was hitting me today, and I was talking to somebody today about this as well. I said, you know, back then, 2,000 years ago, even a couple of years ago, you know, let's remember, even 100 years ago, uh, no one had the radio or television or these other things to entertain themselves. Uh, not a lot of books of fiction. Uh, they didn't, weren't living in this Orwellian slash uh, Huxley world that we live in today. Um, so what did they use for visual entertainment uh, besides themselves and uh, nature around them? Well, there was the heavens. So even toddlers, I'm assuming, at a very young age, started learning about the heavens and the constellations. And uh, it was a very important element in their lives. And as I'm studying this, because um, this book is really great, and there's an awful lot of scientific research that uh, demonstrates that the birth of uh, uh yeah, Yeshua the Messiah was 9/11, and why is that? It's based on, of all things, astronomy and understanding it, and what was going on back then. And they can uh, go back their their programs and all that, and their computer programs, etc. And along with what uh, we do know, what little we do know, that uh, the alignment uh, against Venus and Jupiter and all that, making this amazing-looking star. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that argument before, and and one thing that I I will say that I that I totally agree with is that uh, you know the, what we celebrate as Easter and Christmas are simply solar events, and they were later applied to Christianity and the whole Zeitgeist movement, which claims you know Jesus was just another incarnation of all these other so-called deities. Uh, look, he was born on the on December 25th, the winter solstice, and that's the red herring they used to discredit him. But in fact, we know that he probably, you know, it could have been September 11th, like you said. But he certainly. I think they're ruling. I think they're ruling. I think they're ruling only believe that. That's for sure. I mean, that's the reason why they chose that day, September 11th, for the big one. I mean, why did they choose it? It was a. It was a blood sacrifice. It was a. Sacri- sacrificial. Uh, well, Easter rich- was the yeah. Easter was the pagan uh, worship of the fertility goddess Ishtar. Right. And in a nutshell, they would dye eggs in the blood of sacrificed virgins. So that's where we get the whole tradition of that. But the reason why I was bringing up the book, anyways, is that the fact that uh, if you look at the Babylonians and uh, another groups there in the Middle East and North Africa, etc. Um, but they viewed uh, our heavens as like a dome. Now, whether it's the dome that everyone's talking about is, you know, you know I've heard you in your theories about the dome, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, because that's what it is at this point. It's all theory for us. 
We don't Ab- know what <laughs> that's all it is. It's speculation. Absolutely it's is, but- Another thing that drives me nuts, you know what? All that freaking money, all that stuff, and we still don't even know. You know, you talk, oh, yeah. oh it's over oh, the advent Allen globe. We can't get through it. What? What are you right. guys really trying to say? Well, even even more recently, <laughs> out of the University of Sydney, and I put uh, this in one of my recent videos, but uh, a young, uh, I believe, undergraduate student at the University of Sydney, uh, Cleo Loy, finally found evidence of these um, plasma tubes in the lower magnetosphere that have been theorized for a very long time, but now she used um, basically uh, uh, RF array telescopes and used them like binocular vision to get 3D real-time animations of these plasma tubes in the lower magnetosphere. So I think it's like around three or 400 miles up in the air. And if you start looking into um, uh, magnetic ionized plasma, which this may possibly fall in the, under that category because that's what it appears to be, is magnetically ionized plasma, it could be something like, I believe it was either 18 million or 180 million degrees Fahrenheit. It's 10 to the 8th Kelvin, if that's what it is, if it is indeed, you know, that sort of variety of high-density um, magnetically ionized plasma. And so, you know, I'd like to know what the Apollo astronauts did to get through that since we just discovered <laughs> them this year, right? Or just even simply, they're, they're, what they suggest is that the thermosphere... I mean that in itself, and I, I don't know how how wide it is. You know what that the, how deep it's supposed to be. Well, the thermosphere is where the International Space Station is supposed to orbit, and uh, I believe it's like 300 miles or something like that. Okay, so in this, and how much the temperature? Yeah, it's uh, oh, it's huge. But the thing is, well, how would they get their their rocket across that alone without it frying up? Well, that's right. I mean, they're, they're finding all these things and saying, oh, this could be a problem for our satellites. This could be a problem for our astronauts. And if you look at the Apollo missions, they supposedly went all the way to the moon, which is a quarter million miles, and back didn't have any sort of problems with any of this stuff, didn't experience anything. But since the Apollo missions, nobody except China, they went to the moon allegedly, but barring that, nobody has gone beyond the 400-mile mark. And when they've gotten near to these so-called Van Allen belts and these plasma tubes that we now believe are up there, they started uh, experiencing basically seeing shooting stars with their eyes closed, which you know, would look like little photons or radi- radiation popping you know, into your vision and flying through your line of sight. Um, but the Apollo astronauts didn't notice any of that, and they went over 25,000 miles through that. Um, the Van Allen belts go from 1,000 miles to 20,000 miles out. That's the thickness of those. But those, <laughs> those plasma tubes are something like 300 miles or 400 miles up. I think it's 600 kilometers, whatever that comes out to be in miles. But, yeah, so there's all these huge problems for astronauts that the Apollo astronauts didn't experience. And... The other real uh, telling thing about this is they didn't have any sort of radiation shielding on their uh, lunar missions because the Van Allen belts had only recently been discovered. They were still being studied and scrutinized, and Van Allen actually did warn them, you know, you're probably going to have major problems with radiation. You're going to need to include shielding, but they didn't. And so, you know, you could argue that was irresponsible of NASA, but you could, also, uh, you could also argue that they didn't intend to go through them, so why would they waste their money on such expensive and heavy things as uh, radiation shielding, right? 
I'm, I'm sorry about the laughing, but it's, no, it's, it's one of those days where I can't stop laughing because the absurdity of everything that I've learned is uh, kind of coming to a head, whether it's the politics, religion, uh, NASA. The, it's all people being freaking lie. Oh, and they, they lost all the original <laughs> footage. 700 boxes of film reels got lost uh, from the Apollo missions. And then they claimed that they recently, uh, within the last decade or so, I believe, maybe longer than that, they claimed that they found them, but they recorded over those reels because they wanted to save money. So we have none of the original. <laughs> yeah, we have none of the original. That's, that's funny. That's it's really- all second and third generation uh, stuff to where people were like filming it on a projector screen or filming it on the TV. And that's why, you know, especially the, the moon landing one was um, just it, every version of it we have is so grainy and crappy looking. Um, and it, that was intentional, I believe. Oh, absolutely it was. Yep. And that was to distort the image to keep you from really looking at the fact that what they were watching was a television studio, a studio set somewhere. <laughs> have, you, have you seen Capricorn 1? I have not, but I heard a lot about it. And, okay. uh, you know, I'm not a guy that watches movies. I, I haven't watched television for years. Well, I was thinking was, about that the other day. As my son is four, four years old, and I, I, I have never experienced a moment watching television with my son. It's weird. That's probably <laughs> good. That's probably yeah. good. But Capricorn One, just for your viewers out there, it's worth a watch, and I've got a link to it. I, I put it up on my Google Drive because it's really hard to find. I actually put it on YouTube, but the producers banned it in eight countries, including the United States. Well, so, th- is that the same one that was uh, the other night on uh, Globusters? Because no one, none of us could open it. I don't know if you heard the song or saw the chat room. But well, when I first put it up, I, I accidentally forgot to change it to anyone can view. Oh, okay. But I did that about a few days later. So, yeah, if you go to my channel, The Morgile, there's uh, Puppy versus Kitten 3, where I've just got my dog and my cat, and I've got the, the link to that Google Drive is in the description of that video. So if, oh, you've, awesome. never, if you've never seen Capricorn 1, it's definitely worth a watch, just because it's got O.J. Simpson. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, now, how, is that, was that the movie that was like three or four hours long? No, it's not that long. It was, uh, it was 1978. It's pretty long, but it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's worth it. Oh, which, one, which one was the long one? What was Capricorn 1? What is I think it? it's like two and a half. Yeah, it's pretty long. Um, but yeah, I've got it up on Google Drive, so um, you know people who have been wanting to see it and couldn't get it, um, you can you can do it that way. It's definitely worth the the time if you like movies. If not, you know, that's fine too. Uh, okay, so very revealing, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been laughing a lot. I had a it's you know, my neighbor. The way God worked things out, I just moved. And all my whole life, I've never, especially this journey, the past four years, I didn't, you know. My son started waking me up. Before that, I was just a, a man just in the world, you know what I mean, doing his thing. And so, oh, yeah. Well, when, dead, uh, after 9-11, I was ready to sign up to join the Army, and, and luckily I had some, uh, you know, some things I had to take care of that delayed that, and by the time, two and a half years later, my fast track to the military wasn't so fast. Um, I had some issues with the official narrative, and Luckily, I never did join up, but I've got family, you know, that's military, and I actually lived on Fort Bragg for a few years after 9-11, and so, you know, uh, I'm definitely aware that a lot of deception and and, uh, misunderstanding is tricking very decent and good people into doing things that they otherwise wouldn't have done. Absolutely. That's the whole goal at the end of the day, right? Um, And I was, you know, I had this conversation with this uh, gentleman that, uh, you know, it was my neighbor. He's like in his, I think he's in his 80s. He's in their 70s, 80s, whatever. He's, um, 
and he's great. He's a great guy. And he's guess he's got like a big ca- uh, library down his basement of all these uh, books, or conspiracy books, you know, about the Freemasons and et cetera and all that kind of stuff. So he's been doing this stuff, and uh, uh, he came over and we're talking, and I was just, I just we're laughing. We're just like, cause you know, I was just showing him, and he brought me a book of uh, uh, about the Capitol, the nation's capital, and uh, the building there, and how. And I was like, you know, you know, realize what that is. That's actually a basilica. You just go look all over the the world and you see that that dome that's a basilica our nation's capital right. is a basilica it's a religious you know it's capital line is and we just went on and on and and, and you know uh you know well, the obelisk you know the washington monument is an obelisk and if you look at um uh, ancient egyptian mythology that actually represents um the the i guess it was set uh, one of their gods, the evil god Set, was defeated. And Osiris, Osiris. Osiris, there you go. I always get them confused. I'm, I'm not an Egyptian mythologist, religious type of guy, but um, <laughs> essentially it's supposed to represent his uh, dismembered member, and that basilica across the reflecting pool um, essentially represents the, it's supposed to represent a breast um, by some logic and reasoning. That's what they're doing, is they're essentially erecting taken. Well, uh, you know, architecture around our capitals, and they do the same thing with the Vatican and the city of London. Um, Washington, D.C. is arguably the war arm or the war citadel of the New World Order, Correct. while uh, the Vatican is the religious or satanic, possibly, uh, arm of the New World Order. And then, of course, the city of London, not London itself, but the city of London, which is a city within a city, a citadel, um, is the financial arm of it. So, it's sort of the trifecta, the uh, the false uh, trinity, if you will. And so, yeah, it's very esoteric, uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a, it's amazing, you know, it's a rabbit hole that once you go down through it and you actually look at all this stuff, it's very much connected. And and I believe one of the big secrets of masonry and, and of these occult orders is very possibly the flat earth. That may be one of their big secrets. Oh, of course it is. It's not a yeah. possibility. Um, you know, but here's, uh, we're looking at, I'm going to tell you a couple of things, sidetrack here a little bit, because just, so, uh, you know, the Capitol Rotundra, and, well, this is the state, state, state Statuary Hall in the nation's capital, and it has all these different, you know, statues. you got here, of all people, Will Rogers and Andrew Jackson. And lo and behold, of all people, as we know, you know uh, it, it gets worse, but of all people, and the, and the, is Brigham Young. <laughs> Brigham Young. Now, that's, 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 that's the, uh, the prophet of the Mormon church that's, that, uh, oh, yeah. that was controlled by the Jesuits, uh, Father D. Smith, and uh, you know, was the one who sent them, you know, led the people out west to that terrible, awful place at the time, Utah, <laughs> in the Salt Lake Flats. But here's another thing, too. Uh, 1986, it has this mural here, the mural honoring the crew uh, shuttle, space shuttle Challenger is displayed in the uh, Burmidi Corridor of the Senate Wing. The mural unveiled on March the 3rd, uh, 1987 was painted by artist blah 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 from Temple University of course and there's a mural of these alleged uh, people who died in 
challenger in the nation's capital. Um, <laughs> they're holding their helmets, and lo and behold, I was telling him, it's 87-year-old man, 80-something-year-old man, that they're still alive. Says, yeah, would you like, would you like they, to see their photographs? Even, and their yeah, they didn't even change their names, right? Uh, it, it, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? What's, it may be a coincidence, but uh, yeah, I mean, they look just like them. They're about the, the right age, and they didn't even change their name. I mean, you'd think, I mean, that's that's sort of how they do it, though, because you'd think they'd be smart enough to at least change their name, but that doesn't, I guess that might sort of add some credibility to it. Bah, it's just a coincidence. They wouldn't be that stupid just to keep their same names, right? Um and by the way, one thing I wanted to mention earlier is, um, you know, Masons, I don't like to demonize Masons because most Freemasons are, are just, you know, Blue Lodge uh, entry-level guys who, you know, whether they're, they're builders or contractors and that's how they get a lot of their, pro, you know, their contracts and things. And they're not evil, but when you get up to the higher ranks, the 32nd and 33rd degrees, um, from what I gather, like if you read Manly P. Hall or if you read Albert Pike or uh, Alistair Crowley, who were all grandmaster masons at some point, um, you know, read between the lines and read directly in their books, plainly stating that the god that they worship is Lucifer. Um, and, you know, most masons will disagree with you. They'll say, no, it's, that's not what it is. But most Masons, especially the Blue Lodge guys, are misled in terms of the actual tenets or the actual dogmas of Masonry, but they're also misled into believing that they do have a good understanding of those dogmas, and so they act as sort of the perfect cover. They're legitimate, you know, well-meaning family men and women now. They've, they've allowed women to become Masons or of sorts, and so they, they indeed add legitimacy and, uh, and a benign cover and of course, they're into you know philanthropy, and and they uh, you know they donate to good causes. But at the end of the day, uh, the Bible warns us of wolves in sheep's clothing, and it seems to me that the the high level uh, Masonic bodies, especially the very Ivy League ones like the one at Yale, Skull and Bones, which uh, brought us Bush one and two, as well as John Kerry and many others. Um, but yeah, th- these uh, these guys at the top levels. Are, are not Christians like most people believe they are. Far from it. I mean, their leaders are saying they're worshiping Lucifer, so could be Christian. <laughs> well, by the way, it's, it's, really, it's based on the Jesuit order. Well, so, well, so then we can say the same thing about the Jesuits, a low-level Jesuits really believe they're doing a good job. They're doing something good. They're educating people in their colleges and their high schools and their universities and et cetera. It's not just Jesuit, though. I mean, there's a, there's a Muslim aspect to it, but also there's a, a, a lot of Talmud aspects to it, and, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Talmud. Oh, yeah, I know how wicked it is. Sure. If, if you take out all the rituals that are based on Talmud stuff in masonry and, and these different esoteric cults, um, you're not left with much. And so I think it's an important distinction to make. I'm not talking about Jewish religion. I'm talking about the Talmud, which was essentially a verbal uh, history that started when uh, Moses was up on the mountain getting the commandments from God when he was gone all that time. 
the uh, you know the the priesthood of his time were basically uh, dictating or possibly channeling the Talmud, which is an evil, evil, evil book. Uh, I don't recommend anyone read it unless you want to just simply verify that there's a lot of awful things in there. And the fact is, is most Jewish people are not even familiar with the Talmud in, in any real like cover-to-cover sense. It's like 15 or 20 books. Nobody, not many people have read them all. And so I just wanted to make that distinction that if, if I talk about, you know, Talmudic rites or, or these certain uh, groups of people, I'm not talking about all of those people. So if, for example, if I say the, the Talmudic influence on Masonry, I'm not saying the Jewish influence because, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I, uh, I read the Old Testament. That's a, that's a Jewish religious book. But on the other hand, I also believe that Christ was, was sent here by God to open the covenant up to everyone, um, not just any one race of people. And, and I think that he did a good job of, uh, of showing us that we don't necessarily need these lucrative business, you know, brick and mortar religions who are doing awful things to be close to God. And, and that's what Jesus was. We, we don't need about. it at all. In fact, it's, 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 it's a satanic trap and Satan has taken over all of it. So, you know, it's interesting if you talk about, uh, you know about Elder Pike then? Oh yeah, and about his letter to Mazay. Well, I've I've read a good chunk of Morals and Dogma, which has got a lot of uh, insight. Uh, people besides high-level Freemasons are not supposed to have even access to that book, but you can find a ton of information on it online. So, yeah, well, if you if you look at Elder Pike's letter to, I believe it's. Uh, let me get this so I get. I never sure. said the guy's name right. He's an Italian. Uh, what happened to be the Jesuit general at the time, I believe, or is a high-level Jesuit, and the whole how they planned out World War One and World War Two, and you brought that up in your videos. Absolutely. I think I think a big part of what we're dealing with with uh, NASA and all that in this noble lies is a grand distraction, and it's allowed them to fund a lot of money to perpetuate Alan Pike's uh, goal of. Uh, World War Three, which we are in the midst of, whether people realize it or not, it hasn't come to your home yet, yet. But um, uh, I, I will find that letter and send it to you because if you read that and you connect the um, um, the dots, you'll see that what's part of this grand distraction has been with uh, you know taking the brightest minds, if you will, getting funneling them into like astrophysics and all that other and, uh, these uh, these sciences they're based on very faulty preferences that the, the whole idea has been in my opinion at this point from reading the lines is, is to get to the world so distracted and, and all these different lines that they don't recognize what's in front of their face and if you look at uh, Albert Pike's prediction of the three world wars you will come to realize that um, <clears throat> Although, you know, I can't verify that it's true, but, uh, of course, like so many things in life, but um, certainly it falls in line with what's going on. Uh, with uh, Well, I, I, I submit we're, we're already in World War III, and, and think of it this way. Yeah, uh, we are. We are yes. I, I'm sure you remember PNAC, Project for the New American Century, which is essentially uh, Wolfowitz, Cheney, 
William Crystal, not Billy Crystal, the actor, but Will Crystal, the asshole, sorry. Um, <laughs> but these guys, and pardon my French, I, I, but he is. Um, these guys, Project from a New American Century, had a, a manifesto called Rebuilding America's Defenses, which was their essentially their dissertation or their proposal for W's presidency. These are the neocons prior to W's first presidency, George W. Bush. And basically the bottom line of this thing is, is they wanted a new Pearl Harbor that would catapult America into a war with the Middle East so that we could have total dominance. Okay, and that's exactly what we got with 9-11, not even one year into Bush's presidency. And so, yeah, these guys plan wars, they profit from wars, and they control our emotions and they control our collective intent with propaganda. And, you know, it's just it's sickening, but that's they've done a great job of it. And, and people are just so ingrained into this Republican Democrat uh, paradigm um, but once you realize that the Republicans and Democrats are all super rich elitists from Skull and Bones, for example, John Kerry and George Bush were both from the same secret society at Yale, we're not voting on two different parties, we're voting on two wings of the same beast. And in, until people realize this, um, and, and I submit any candidate that doesn't run, at, you know, run with their main thing being getting rid of the CIA and the Federal Reserve, like Kennedy was running to do or planning to do, then they're just part of this system. It's a dog and pony show designed to keep us perpetually enslaved in a debt system and, you know, on the whim being led by the nose of these maniacs who profit a great deal when we're at war. So it's, uh, it's a big problem. It is, well, it's all connected. It's all interconnected. So uh, let me read you just a little bit. I said it to you, the, the letter, but uh, I've, I've been bringing this up lately in the past couple of weeks because it's clear as day to me what I'm seeing at this point. But this letter supposedly was in August uh, 15th of 1871. It was sent to Mizzini. Um, <clears throat> he's in Italy. Um, Let's see what he has. And if, to say. if you can pardon me for one second, I'm going to run in the other room and I will be right back. Okay. Uh, if you want to start reading that, I will pick up um, when I'll, I'll just holler at you when I'm back. I'm going to okay. run in the rest of the room. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. So, okay. so that's fine. Okay. So, uh, yeah, folks, we see. Oh, well, yeah, and another thing, too, since we're getting all sidetracked here, and there's <laughs> that's the way it goes in this show, especially when there's so much going on. Uh, I'll certainly set this to you the Santa. Uh, or, or was it uh, whatever's going on in California? This our Santa Barbara, you know, Santa Bernardino, whatever it is. Sorry for pronouncing it um, wrong, but this another false false flag operation, another uh, active shooter uh, exercise going on. If you haven't figured that one out, so just like what happened in Paris. Uh, London and it's all designed. You know, you look at what's going on with the flooding of the United States of all these innocent Muslims, and then there's the folks from Latin America being flooded in this country, and and I also see this happening in Western Europe. And everything seems counterintuitive to uh, us being at war with Islam and all that kind of thing. So I wanted to explain to you what's going on here just before our eyes. Are you back? I am back, yeah. And ISIS, um, it seems to me like they're just a CIA-funded bunch of mercenaries. Actually, actually, I discovered there's actually a, 
an organization here in the United States called ISIS that is <laughs> it's for so pro, uh, uh, it's 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 what is it? its purpose is to uh, uh, do these false flag exercises. So um, yeah, it's all it's not only in the United States, but it's NATO. It's all part of the Roman Empire. It's all part of reestablishing the old boundaries of the Roman Empire. And uh, you need to learn about things like the Mediterranean Union and the old New World Order map after World War II and what was going on to understand really uh, a little more fully what's going on in the Middle East. But uh, this has all been planned out for a very, very long time. But this is what uh, Albert Pike had to say back in 1871 in his letter to Mazzini. He says this, the Third World War, he talks about three world wars, uh, must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agitator of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of Islamic world. Uh, the war must be conducted in such a way that Islam, the Muslim Arab or Arabic world, and the political Zionists, the state of Israel, mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, this, by the way, this is a real, supposedly a real letter a hundred some years ago. Uh, <clears throat> and for my research about Elmer Pike, not only was he the grand master of the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry in this country, but he was a Jesuit. So <laughs> yep. uh, and he also dressed up in black like he did, like a black witch that he was. Uh, it goes on here, it says, they mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, and spiritual and economic exhaustion. Hence the reason why the the corporation of the United States of America is trillions, quote-unquote, trillions of dollars in debt. Whether it's real or not, we we all certainly, most of the world believes it so. Uh, We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, uh, um, and I think that 500-day to uh, global ca- uh, climate chaos is just what they're talking about. They weren't really talking about the climate. They're talking about the social climate uh, with uh, the, the uh, skull and bones, uh, uh, Jesuit-controlled uh, Freemason Kerry, and the foreign minister of France when they had that uh, announcement that um, September 23rd would <laughs> be the beginning of, uh, or September 24th would be the beginning of uh, uh, climate chaos, in which, go, we'll go back to the letter down here, so, so a social cataclysm which in all its horror will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, uh, origin of savagery, and of the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere, the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization. And the multitude and the disillusioned with Christianity whose theistic spirits will form that from that moment be without compass or direction certainly see this happening. Anxiety for an ideal, but without knowing where to render its adoration, 
will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer, brought finally out into the, the public view, this manifestation will result from the general reactionary move, movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Since isn't that interesting? And isn't that since 9-11, isn't that what's happening? Right, and if I can remark on something, you know, in terms of discrediting the Bible, science has done a good job of that because in, in sort of convincing everyone that the world is a spinning sphere, well, if you read Genesis, then you're obviously going to have major, you know, a major conflict with the Bible there. And how many times have you heard the, the old scientific argument that, you know, well, Jesus believed the earth was flat, so how could he possibly, you know, be the son of God or whatever that argument is? Um, however, this to me was sort of an afterthought. But uh, since the world is indeed a stationary plane, then that argument sort of falls on its face. And it does go right in line with this whole plan to discredit Christianity and, and discredit the Bible in every way, shape, and form possible. So, Well, here, I want to say something here. This is just a thought that I cannot prove. But as we're discussing this and about scientism and how they falsely have misled us into believing in this, uh, contributing in, the, in this heliocentric model, and this whole idea of going to the moon and finding out that's not true, and all the things that have been lying to us. Uh, could this be actually, in a, you know, because you know how they work with this Hegelian dialectic, that they're actually in some strange way allowing our voices now to be heard as a, as a way to, because what they want to do is destroy atheism, right? Absolute atheism. Well, what's the finest example of, of atheism? Right or even nihilists, the nihilists, scientism. That's the scientist, the scientific uh, movement. I, I I think that they've been playing them like a fiddle, and I think and I think what's going to happen is just as they're saying here, they're allowing the truth slowly to be trickled out. In some ways, we're being used as a useful to bringing this up, but we have to bring this up because it's the truth. Because we care about the truth, they're going to take advantage of this. And, and, and you can see what's happening as they – I mean, you can just see what's happening. Look at how crappy their, their well, imagery, imagery is getting and how absurd it's getting and how Disney-like it's getting. It's just getting worse and worse. And as people wake up, they're going to really – they really are going to turn on the scientific community because they've been so corrupted that the, the – Well, it's totally, mis, totally misled, and, and I think there probably are some of the big-name scientists who are, who are in on this, but – for the most part, I think most scientists are, are just just as tricked since they were toddlers, just like everybody else. And so, um, yeah, like all of us. But the thing is, we see it. They're using them as useful dupes. You know, you know what I'm saying? So they've been corrupting them over this past century, right? And corrupting science. There's good and evil. There's good and evil in this world. And you know, Lucifer or Satan, if nothing else, I don't think he's a red horned you know, uh, pitchfork, totem, prong-tailed guy in a red suit. Um, but if he is anything that we can sort of relate to, is the father of all lies. And one thing about the truth is the, the truth always defeats lies because you can't disprove the truth. You can disprove lies. 
and it, I'm I'm pretty. Uh, this whole thing is is very comforting to me because it it just reinforces to me so much more uh, that the the Bible was in fact correct and true, and yeah. that's that's a very much a comfort to me. But also at the same time, you know, whatever plans they have. Um, if, if we're, I'm going on faith here, they're going to, they're going to fall flat on their face and, and, uh, the good in this world is going to overcome the evil, but, uh, it, it's probably going to get a little bit more bloody before it gets any better. And, and I just hope that they're, that people are wise enough not to fall for the old problem reaction solution Hegelian dialectic and see through that. And overcome but, John, but, but John, you know, let's be honest, <laughs> you know, we, uh, uh, there's a guy like you. This guy like me, we're out there, but we are do not represent even close to even the minority, let alone the majority. So let's hope that it does happen. But I think we do have to bring it. It, it really, it, for us who we claim to be believers in the truth, uh, and it is our responsibility to share it, regardless of the consequences. We cannot control the consequences. What it comes down to, we got to leave it in the hands of God. And we got to allow the fact that there are evil men in this world that are going to exploit this to the hilt. And I can see what they're going to do. And I, you know, you can see the hand of God in all of this. See the hand yeah. of God in this whole movement. Whether you believe in the God of the Bible or not, I can see, and I'm not saying you, but you know, other people, I can see the God's hand in this. And I can see this, and, and this is the linchpin. Once this is pulled and people recognize they've been lied to by NASA, They've been lied to about the way the world, the world looks, uh, what the world really is. Uh, they're going to have, just like he says, they're going to be in this point where, uh, without a compass and direction, anxiety for an ideal. You know what I mean? Without right, knowing where to render their adoration because they don't know God. Most atheists are not going to go back to Christianity, even if they realize that science was a big lie. And that's and then a lot of them will. I'm not saying all, but yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. And and uh, sure, they've got. It's to... a really exciting time, and I know it sounds kind of morbid, but it, it is a very exciting time. I mean, I care about everybody, and I don't want anybody to be hurt and all that. And I, I want things to be positive and go. One more what, can be, what can be more positive than God's word and promise being fulfilled? I mean, it, I think it's great. Um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. It's all get out. This really is exciting. And I'm seeing people in their 70s and their 80s and people all over different walks of life who are like listening up to this and starting to question it because this is huge. Really is it, is it is, and it's so simple though. I mean, it, 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 you know, the the heliocentric spinning globe Earth is such a complex, mathematically, you know, bizarre thing that really doesn't work when you scrutinize it. But yeah, the the truth is so simple, and and I, I, I that's that's what I think the beauty of it is, and and also. Um, I think I've had I've experienced some some pretty dramatically uh, improved health you know health and psychological effects and just being you know sleeping better at night and, and stuff after realizing this truth because it is a little bit scary thinking you know we're on a ball flying around the universe at a gazillion miles an hour. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I know I think it brings you closer to God and uh, 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 and it brings you. I, you know, it's a weird thing that's happened to me as I've come to understand how the world's really working and who's behind all the, you know, all the, the problems of this world. It's like I, and I, just resting in the Lord and resting in the truth has just been a real reassuring and comforting experience. And it's like, you know, just to have the confidence to just to go to someone and say, listen, the world really is flat. 
and have have the courage to do that uh, and not feel ashamed of it. You know what I mean? Or who God is, or um, all the other things. So, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's just so exciting. This is a really amazing time to be alive uh, because we're starting to wake up. So, I don't know. You want to keep going on the sure, uh, sure. Oh, what yeah. we yeah, number 11, we already sort of covered, so I'll just read it. It was, uh, why doesn't gravity squash us near the North Pole? And why has gravity never been proven or proved? Um, because it hasn't. It's, it's all just theory. The, the gravitational constant, which is a uh, you know, big G in physics, it's an equation, is based on the Cavendish experiment, um, which the Cavendish experiment is really sort of silly. It was this elitist... Uh, a uh, scientifical guy who uh, hung a couple of balls in his tool shed, and uh, that, by that he said he could weigh the Earth. And uh, astrophysicists believe they can weigh the sun and the galaxy using the same uh, sort of gravitational constant, which is just ridiculous. Uh, do you, do you yeah. think that there's any kind of... Uh, uh, this, this is a thought that's come to my head. Do you think there's any sexual connotations to that couple hanging a couple balls? <laughs> I don't I'm know. sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, Probably, but it's, it's so funny because uh, he, he built this shed and, and he <laughs> used this little triangle hanging from the ceiling and hung these two balls from it and ran telescopes into the walls all the way out to his house so that he could you know observe it without his gravity affecting the experiment. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what about the gravity of the building? Wouldn't that be more than his anyway? Bah, it doesn't make any sense. The Cavendish experiment is... is pseudoscience and and basically all of physics bases this gravitational constant on that experiment um you know things fall to the ground at a, at a given rate and it doesn't have anything to do with the mass of the earth warping space-time it's just simply you know again density and buoyancy and i believe you know there must be some kind of downward tendency and i think that's probably more to do with electromagnetism or possibly harmonic resonance of similar a harmonic resonance of similar densities, but certainly not the warping of space-time. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing I'll go back a little bit here, uh, we were talking about the... Um, we were getting close to talking about that that, that experiment that supposedly proved, proved the Earth was round uh, 2,000 years ago in, in uh, Alexander, Egypt. Oh, right, 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 yeah. And we were, I think we were talking about, well, we were talking, you mentioned the obelisk, and I got sidetracked, and I wanted to bring this up. So supposedly, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? He used to do the science series before he died. Um, oh, uh, Carl Sagan? Carl Sagan. He did that little uh, episode there, the little segment uh, where he had the piece of cardboard paper with two obelisks on it. And that this guy used two obelisks, you know, first of all, that should be a red flag. And he's got the straight paper, and of course, as you're watching it, you see a shadow, and then he bends it a little bit. So that's how he proved. See, the visual proof, once again, it had to be something fake. A piece of power was with two obelisks on it, two penises sticking out of it, basically. (laughs) And there was 500 miles away plus, and that's somehow he proved it. And I just wanted to ask you the question, have you thought about this? Because I wasn't thinking about this. You know, back then they didn't have, you know, uh, GPS and they didn't have phones and they didn't have computers. And and so how did he have any way of proving that the shadow 500 miles away was any different? Like you say, well, he was talking to somebody and by blind faith and trust that he believes that person is telling the truth. 
Well, and here's here's what I think. Either he, you know, either he had another observer at the two points. One was in Egypt. One was in Greece. I think I forget the, the exact cities. But anyone can do this experiment. It, it's basically two points on the same meridian line, um, with you know several hundred miles in between each point. And by by measuring the angle of the shadow and the length of the shadow cast by the sun at high noon, you can basically use the Pythagorean theorem or Eu- Euclidean geometry to figure out the estimated distance to the sun. Um, the, the only thing that changes this in a big, big way is whether you, A, assume the Earth is a plane, which will give you your default correct answer, or by adding a layer of complexity into it and assuming the Earth is a sphere. That's where you get the, the much larger number. And so how did he do it back then? Either, you know, it may have been he went to the two places on the same day in uh, consecutive years, or he may have had another observer documenting it, because it's, it's a pretty easy thing to do with a sundial to document the, the length and the angle of the shadow cast at a specific time. And by using, uh, again, spherical trigonometry, you get 93 million miles to the sun. But by using plane trigonometry, the same mathematics, just not assuming the Earth is a sphere, you get between three and 4,000 miles to the sun. And, uh, and so that's why you know I, I do like to point out that the spinning globe Earth was sort of a rational misunderstanding, but in order to prove the thing a sphere, you have to first assume that it's a sphere to prove the thing. And I'll just give you a real basic example. Um, okay, so only a sphere can be circumnavigated. We've circumnavigated the globe. Therefore, the Earth is a sphere. Um, on the other hand, the basic premise of this, you know, only a sphere can be circumnavigated is a fallacy because a plane, too, can be circumnavigated. If you have the North Pole in the center, east and west are merely right angles to north and south. You can easily uh, describe a circle on a flat plane and wind up where you started, right back where you started, heading a constant direction west the whole time. Um, And so it's that sort of assumption or or presupposition that leads us to the globe Earth conclusion, but, you know, it all hinges on that presupposition first. So that's a a couple good examples of how um, the numbers work in both models, unless you study them further, of course. Well, yeah, that's very valid points. And I don't think I would like to point out this, that why they keep using that experiment that happened in Alexandria, Egypt, 2,000 years ago. Right. Because we can, you know, we have instant communication. We can observe the sun from sea to shining sea at the same time and do similar experiments. But, again, if you assume it's a sphere, you're going to get that way, you know, way distance. But uh, if you you really study a lot of different weather balloon footage, the sun is always just a few degrees above the ground, and you can see a hot spot, like a spotlight shining on the clouds below directly beneath the sun. And uh, furthermore, if you've ever seen, you know, like the rays of the sun bursting through clouds, um, that they're uh, perspicular or they they converge at a point. Um, and so, really, the sun isn't that far away. We can. No, we can I saw that today driving. I saw that today driving. Blew yep. me away. I've seen it now twice, and so I started listening to you guys. I said, "Oh my gosh, there it is." I mean, the rays should be everywhere, not just one location. Well, they should be coming in parallel with one another from, from basically, because again, if the sun was 93 million miles away and all that light was traveling, you know, that distance from that vast of an object, all of the rays would be coming in parallel to one another. 
But um, And, of course, you can say, well, perspective still applies, but it, it doesn't. All of those rays converge at the sun, and so it's, it's very evident, especially when you look at the, you know, the plane trigonometry using the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, it's very, very good proof that the, the sun is, you know, between three and 4,000, less than 4,000 miles away. And then, of course, if, whether you're using uh, statute miles or nautical miles, that's going to cause a difference. But it's, you know, three to 4,000 miles away and about 30, 35 miles in diameter. Um, but there are some issues with that. Um, and, you know, we can get into these or not, but, uh, you know, the sun is still sort of a mystery as to certain observations of it. Um, the Earth obviously isn't a spinning globe, but we always see the sun rise to our east and, and set to our west. Um, so it sort of causes some problems in the typical standard flat Earth model. But, you know, one of the ways I look at it is, you know, we really don't know how that sort of light behaves when it's passing through and around all these, you know, electromagnetic fields and through these different layers of atmosphere. Um, so the, the sun is a beautiful and mysterious thing, but it's certainly not you know, a thousand times larger than the Earth and 93 million miles away. It's very close. Yeah, do we have any proof at all that it's a sphere? The, the sun? Yeah, I know, it's, I know it sounds like an absurd question, but I was thinking about that. You know, the, we see the moon, and all only, only ever see is one side of the moon, and I know I've heard all the stuff, close up you can see kind of a curvature, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily a sphere. The fact of the matter is... Uh, just as we've never seen the full, a true picture of the world that we live in, we've never seen the complete view of the sun, even if we were capable of doing it, I don't know. I just wonder what you thought about that, you know, because uh, I know <clears throat> I, I can't disprove it or prove it that it's a sphere, but when I look at the sun, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it looks like a circle, I don't that much. Yeah, I think it could go. I think it could go either way. I mean, I'm I'm not 100 uh, percent convinced either way whether the sun and moon are physical objects. They may be physical objects. They may be physical spheres, or they may be something. Um, what we observe and call the sun and moon may just be light. Um, and what the source of that light is is up for debate. But yeah, it's it's a it's still pretty much a big mystery uh, to me. Or you know, I'm still up in the air on that. But I suppose the sun and moon could be spheres, or they could be something else. Um, is that is that frustrating? Yeah, it is really frustrating. 2015 of all, <laughs> we still don't even know this. We don't. You know, right, but of Parsons, course, Parsons, the, supposedly, Parsons supposedly there's a there's a crater on the dark side of the moon named after him, but yet nobody's seen it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And, it's like, you know, and, of course, what NASA does is they give us all these mathematical numbers that work. You know, if you assume the Earth is a sphere, they've got it right down to the millionth uh, decimal point. Um, and so they, they are all, they're very assertive, and that makes, them, that makes people feel comfortable in agreeing with them because uh, these guys at NASA are smart. They've got it figured out. Um, but, you know, I would much rather say something is a mystery and say I don't know for sure than to, you know, make something up based on what I like it, you know, what I would like to believe because that's what gets us into trouble. And, and that's, what I, that's what I like about you, John. You, you are willing to be reasonable about all this. Sure. You know, you know and uh, I really do appreciate that. And, uh, you know, another thing that I was thinking, too, when I was, we were, I had uh, Dave Weiss on the show Saturday, mm -hmm. and um, we were talking about, 
one of the things I brought up myself is that, you know, with all this conversation and how the earth works and how the moon and the sun and the stars, it's almost like we live on a giant battery. Does that make sense at all? Uh, Well, there's definitely, I I believe that electromagnetism, and and if you want to take that a step further and say something like the grand unified theory is probably very accurate, meaning, you know, we attribute all these different forces like gravity, inertia, electricity, magnetism, light waves, radio frequency waves. We attribute them to all sorts of different, um, you know, natural forces. I think that everything is probably very much the same force, just different aspects of it. And, uh, yeah, I, I sort of got astray, but what, what was the question again? Oh, uh, just that I, I get the impression I look at, like, the moon and the sun, oh. and one's like a yeah. negative charge, one's a positive charge. You yeah. look at the need for, you know, to have uh, sodium chloride, which we have giant seas of salt. Yeah. And everything I, is... is yeah. <laughs> I believe that's what Nikola Tesla was very much tapping into, was uh, assuming the Earth to be a, a huge... Uh, generator of energy with, you know, the ground being, you know, one polarity and the ionosphere being another sort of capacitor plate is how he described it, I believe. And yeah, the earth literally is a giant generator of energy. And, um, you know, we take that for granted because we have to pay a power bill for someone to burn some kind of fuel or, you know, create some kind of heat. But really, you know, the earth itself has plenty of just natural electromagnetic energy that we can tap into and communicate with. Um, yeah, that's exactly what the earth is, is, uh, is a big giant, uh, electromagnet. Absolutely. It seems to be the case. So it's, it's, yeah. it's really exciting and, and very, they, they contemplate the potentials of what we really have before our eyes. And, uh, it's a shame we never got to know Nicholas, Nicholas Tesla, ourselves. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or uh, the equivalent? Maybe the equivalent will show up in our lives again. You know, because uh, it's yeah. You know, the, the one of the ways they're enslaving us uh, is the deception of our own reality, cosmology, uh, and how even how you gain energy. You know, what did they do thousands of years ago? Uh, how do they make the pyramids? You know all these these things, these giant obelisks. Yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, Tesla <laughs> Tesla borrowed a lot of his. Um, I wouldn't say his. I guess you could say he borrowed a lot of his ideas from from the ancients, from what I gather. And there's a lot of evidence that the the pyramids themselves were were tapping into this very natural uh, these very natural energy fields and and creating you know energy in such a way that they could use it. Um, and I, I believe this is all pre-Diluvian, you know, so before the Great Flood, uh, which is an actual event that was a, a worldwide event. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's all very, very interesting and connected. Um, and I think that once mainstream science actually starts looking at the Earth in a different way in terms of the flat Earth model and actually being a giant electromagnetic generator, um, we're going to have huge leaps in science um, if we can just get these guys on board. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I see some very interesting things coming. It's really quite interesting. So, um, yeah, we're gonna go with the next one. Sure. Yeah, number, number twelve. 12. Is, uh, yeah, how can the moon's measly one-sixth gravity? You know, again, we're assuming the Earth. <laughs> uh, how can the moon's measly one-sixth gravity pull up on our oceans for you know causing the tides? and yet it's safely beyond the quote-unquote event horizon of the Earth's much larger and greater gravity. 
Now, let me make a caveat here because uh, people will argue semantics all day long. People will say that event horizon is a term specifically for black holes, and it's the point where, you know, once light travels to that close to it, light can't escape. So that's, the, that's one definition for event horizon. Another uh, definition of event horizon is simply the point of no return. And so since we're talking about the Earth being a generator of gravity waves, then event horizon is a, is a perfectly adequate term to use, and it is not exclusive to black holes. And so with that, with that being said, um, if the moon is only generating one-sixth gravity and it's pulling up on our oceans, but the Earth's gravity is supposed to be way more powerful than that, but as yet the moon is supposedly getting slightly further and further and further away. So the moon's gravity is pulling up the oceans, but the Earth's gravity is not pulling down on the moon. Um, it doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. It absolutely doesn't. The moon should be, you know, by this time, should be falling to the Earth at one day, especially when you consider this little tidbit. Um, if the Earth is orbiting the sun and the moon is orbiting the Earth, then there should be times of the year when the moon is directly on course, uh, where the Earth is directly on course to run into the moon, and yet it doesn't. So then gravity must sometimes repel the moon and sometimes must attract it. And it just, it just doesn't make, it really doesn't make sense if you, if you actually think about it, which most people don't. They just assume it's correct. Um, <laughs> well, Sally, also it makes you think about uh, the tidal actions, because like a lot of places, they have two tides. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So they say, well, it's all about the moon, but is it really all about the moon? I mean, since gravity is not real. Well, and you know. Or at least what would they well, whatever, whatever, yeah, gravity, let's face it, gravity is not real. They don't have anything to back, back, back it up. So I've got a few theories on the tides. Um, if it is caused by the moon, since there is no gravity, it could be just simply uh, an electric charge will compel water towards it. So yeah, it's sodium chloride, because you know what? Fresh water doesn't happen. That's right. Well, it, it will check this out, though. If you take a, a balloon, fill it up with air, and rub it against your hair for a good long bit, so your hair starts pulling up, and then uh, barely turn on a tap of water uh, and put the balloon next to the, run, you know, the, the water falling out of the tap, and the water will bend towards the balloon. So it's possible for the moon to cause the, uh, the tides in that way without gravity, but th there's other things, too. Um, the, the, as the sun travels across the face of the water, all that water and all the air gets heated up. And then as the moon comes by that same water later, all that air and water gets cooled down. Mm -hmm. Actually, the moonlight has a, a marked cooling effect. Um, one experiment that was mentioned in Zetetic Astronomy was they would take an uh, amplification process to basically take sunlight and amplify it many times, like 300 times, and using this process, it'll create a beam of sunlight that can melt gold. If you take the moon and do the same, same setup with the moonlight, it'll actually go several degrees cooler on a thermometer. So the, the sun heats and the, the moon cools, and that heating and cooling of atmosphere and water could very well cause the tides. So there's another way it could happen without gravity. Um, and then there's even yet a third way, which this was uh, Dr. Robotham's hypothesis in Zetetic, that the, all of the continents and all of the so-called tectonic plates are essentially rocking back and forth in, you could either say lava or rocking back and forth in the water, and that would cause the tides. So there's lots of things that could cause the tides without the gravity of the moon. So, 
Yeah, and I, I would just like to comment about the moon and the sun as well, <clears throat> as far as the heat and the cooling effects. Uh, just, for, just for anybody who hears this, just for common sense purposes. You've never heard of anybody saying, hey, I'm going to go moon bathing and warm up. <laughs> I got really hot when I went to moon bathe today. <laughs> no, there's sunbathing, right? You get hot and sweaty and you get a tan. And the moon, you, nothing happens. You get cold. And the storm. Yeah. You don't need this experiment because you're a living experiment of it. I don't need anybody to prove that to me. Of course, you could use that to, to, to prove th- people through a thermometer and etc. But your own senses will tell you the same thing, which is something that they've taken away from us. Well, and another big observation, too, is, you know, sunlight causes the atmosphere to turn blue and reflective. Moonlight uh, causes us to be able to see the stars. So it's certainly a different type of light. Um, people say that, this, that the moon must be self-illuminating because of this, and it is absolutely not reflecting the sun's light to cause the phases. But I, I, honestly, I've, I've seen evidence that goes both ways. So it could be a combination of the two, or it could be something that we haven't thought of. Um, but it, it's just so wild because, yeah, the moonlight is um, putrefies, uh, sunlight preserves. Um, obviously, sunlight heats, moonlight cools. And, uh, of course, the sun makes the atmosphere blue and reflective while the moonlight uh, allows us to see the stars right through the atmosphere, supposedly, you know, trillions of miles, which is impossible. Light, light waves actually dissipate and just sort of fizzle out into the background noise um, well before millions of light years, but there's another one. It's just all, uh, it's not looking good for the globe. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> um, here, this is number 13. How can we see the same stars overhead in the summer, but also in the winter? And people will say, oh, well, there's a different, you know, you do see different stars in the summer and winter. But the point is, is if you actually try to visualize, uh, you've got the sun in the center, and you've got the Earth on both sides. Let's say the left side would be winter and the right side is summer. Um, the side of the planet, uh, again, we're considering the Earth as a globe, the side of the planet in towards the sun is always daytime, so you cannot observe the stars at day. Therefore, uh, we should see a completely different sector of the you know, night sky, the known universe, from season to season. But the fact is we can see some of the same stars somewhere on Earth all year long. So that that also is a, a big, big nail in the coffin of the globe, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. A polar star that, that uh, pretty much caused a whole bunch of problems. Parallax effect? Is that what this? Is that what they call it? Well... Uh, this is a little different. I mean, it, it's it's similar to the one with Polaris being fixed above the axis, and they say it's because of these vast distances that the Earth's travel around the sun doesn't cause any change in the parallax. But that doesn't that doesn't solve the issue that I'm pointing to, because again, the issue is is visible space is always at night, and so visible space is opposite directions in the universe depending on the season. So you shouldn't be able to see even one single star from summer, you know, similarly from summer to winter. But but we can, and it's been that way for all of recorded history. Not only um, that, but if you really think about it, it should be changing constantly. Yeah, constantly, at least seasonal, or more like weekly or daily or. <laughs> yeah, well, every year, summer, you can fix your you can fix a telescope at the North Pole Star Polaris, 
and you never have to move it in order for it to stay there all year long, year after year after year. And that totally proves we're not – the heliocentric model is wrong. It really, really does. Um, you can think about if the vastness of they say of space, that how fast we're going, how fast the sun's going, how fast the solar system's going, how fast these galaxies are going, as they allege. And I'm just going to say this as a novice – and, you know, based on it, what I see with my own eyes, based on their argument, everything should be a bit blur. Just like you driving down the road in your car and how this, this, as you watch the, the trees and the fences and everything and the houses goes by. That should be the same, shouldn't it, logically speaking? Yeah, the, you you would think that uh, if all these stars were at different distances, some of them are as close as 25 trillion miles, I believe that's the closest, and some of them are millions of light years. Yeah, you would think that there would be some parallax change, or you'd think there'd be you know different uh, different levels of of motion blur and that sort of thing, given the velocities that we're we're told. And yeah, it it does it really doesn't make any sense, but extreme extreme. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, not to mention Doppler effect and that sort of thing. So if we were moving, um, Doppler effect applies to light wave as well. Um, we don't get that. Uh, number fourteen here. This is a good one too. And this this one sort of has a, a question and then a follow up part B going into an experiment um, that was done a while ago. But fourteen is uh, when cannons are fired perfectly vertically into the air, and they'll you can use a level or a, a like a spirit level. Um, but if you get it fixed to uh, fixed to something firm and fire a cannon or an air gun perfectly vertically, um, oftentimes it will, the, the cannonball or the, the pellet or whatever it is will always land just a, a couple of inches or a couple of feet away from the, the gun or cannon that fired it. And then oftentimes the ball will land directly back into the barrel of the cannon that fired it. And this, this would actually conclusively prove that the earth isn't spinning at all. That ball should wind up many, many miles to the west, depending on how high you could fire it. Huh. And for a couple of reasons. Um, if it's traveling east with the spin of the earth when it's fired, it would have to accelerate faster and faster and faster east as, velocity, as altitude was gained in order to remain fixed above the cannon, and then it would have to decelerate slower and slower and slower until it uh, landed right back with the same frame of reference into the cannon. Now, frankly, what should happen is, is that ball should fly up uh, and start slipping out of that frame of reference and start heading west a little bit on its way up, and then on its way down, it should be hauling ass to the west faster and faster and faster until it hits. So the fact that uh, when you fire a cannon perfectly vertically, the ball often lands back into the barrel of the cannon that fired it uh, proves that the, the world isn't spinning. Um, it's just yet another one. Um, now, here's the follow-up, and this is uh, sort of detailing an actual experiment that's uh, very, very interesting, and I can, I can read this if you want me to. Sure, please. Okay, and I got this off of IFERS, which is International Flat Earth Research Society. That's uh, the one that's uh, headed up by Eric DeBay. Um, I don't necessarily agree with Eric on everything, but he's got some great stuff on there at IFERS. I think it's ifers.boards.net or something. Just Google IFERS. Uh, just make sure you don't find the Flat Earth Research Society. The Flat, the flat Earth Re No, I'm sorry. The Flat Earth Society is a, a front group. 
what they do is they, they make some arguments for the flat Earth, and then they throw in wild, just outlandish things like the Earth is constantly accelerating at 9.8 meters per second up, and that's what causes gravity. And then they'll discredit the whole thing, and so stay away from the Flat Earth Society. This is the International Flat Earth Research Society I'm talking about, and here's the account of the experiment. Okay, so another experiment repeatedly performed to disprove disprove Earth's supposed rotation under our feet is firing cannons vertically and horizontally in all cardinal directions. If the Earth were truly spinning eastwards underneath us as the heliocentric model suggests, then vertically fired cannonballs should fall significantly to the west. In actual fact, though, whenever this has been tested, vertically fired cannonballs perfectly aimed with a plumb line lit with slow match, shoot upwards an average of 14 seconds ascending, 14 seconds descending, and fall back to the ground no more than two feet away from the cannon, sometimes directly back into the muzzle. If the Earth were actually spinning at the supposed rate of six to 700 miles per hour at the mid-latitudes of England and America, where the tests have been performed, the cannonballs should fall a full 8,400 feet or over a mile and a half behind the cannon or to the west. Uh, the following experiment has been tried many, many times, and the reasonable deductions from it are entirely against the theory, the theory of Earth's motion. A loaded cannon was set vertically with a plumb line and a spirit level and fired. The average time the ball was in the air was 28 seconds. On several occasions, the ball returned to the mouth of the cannon and never fell more than two feet from its base. Now, let's see what, we, what the result would be if the Earth were a rapidly rotating sphere. The ball would partake of two motions, the one from the cannon vertical and the other from the Earth from west to east. While it had been ascending, the Earth with the cannon would have moved significantly. In ascending, it would have no impulse from the Earth's motion from the cannon and would fall in a straight line. But during the time it were falling, the Earth with the cannon would have traveled on and the ball would fall, allowing the world's rotation to be 600 miles per hour in England, more than a mile and a half from the cannon. So that's a very good proof, uh, experimental evidence. Um, and, and really, you know, we're on number 14 here. So far, I mean, if, if anyone's listening has been on the fence about this, there is literally a mountain of empirical evidence proving the world to be a stationary plane, and all of the supposed proofs of the spinning globe are, are very easily debunked. Um, and, you know, I've, I've gone into some of those in my, my videos, too. Um, any questions or comments on that one, Mike? No, so far it's common sense to me. Okay, <laughs> Pretty amazing, but yes. Uh, <laughs> another thing to think about too. I don't know how many artillerymen there are out there, but um, artillerymen never have to figure in the spin of the Earth in order to hit their mark, and um, they can fire any old direction, and it's and it's always the same. You know, there might be some wind uh, changes and stuff like that, but yeah, never have to never have to figure in for it in artillery fire or airline flights, and so it's pretty preposterous to, for anyone to say the Earth is spinning. Um, why? Uh, number fifty. Yeah, this is funny. It is. If you don't laugh out loud about this when you finally get it, you don't have any sense of humor. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, number fifteen. Why did the astronauts of Apollo not experience any effects of the so-called Van Allen belts or the auroras? Um, and you know, one of the questions I get a lot about this is, well, 
if there's Van Allen belts, then the Earth is a ball. No, the Van Allen belts are just um, ele the electromagnetic field, which is generated by the Earth, and we can see this sort of ionization of that electromagnetic field in the form of the aurora borealis. So, you know, the Van Allen belts are certainly there, but um, they're not exclusive to the Earth being a ball. It works in both models. So, again, the question was, is why didn't the astronauts experience these, uh, the effects that we now know would be killer electrons, high temperature variances, and even causing the uh, material in the shuttle itself to become basically electrified? So none of that. And, and, and then and further, uh, why is NASA now saying they can't? They they need to figure out how to get through it. Yeah, they're they, they, one of NASA's more recent uh, little documentaries is they're trying to figure out ways to safely get astronauts through these electromagnetic you know anomalies, which is like okay, well what about the 1960s when uh, you guys sent the astronauts up there with the equivalent of a Game Boy processor as the computer guide, right? None of that, but the other question is that it's begged to be asked is, is it even real to begin with, the Van Allen belt? Is there something else that's, that's getting in the way? So this simply can't be answered, but it's a question that nationally is, must be asked. You know, well, think, when you look at the, like the Aurora Borealis, that is, to me, it's pretty good evidence that there's definitely some sort of ionized gases up there, which um, you know, would necessarily cause things like the plasma tubes that we talked about earlier, which have been supposedly scientifically proven just, uh, just this year, just a few months ago, actually, um, by Cleo Loy. So, yeah, more and more evidence is stacking up against good old Buzz and, and uh, Armstrong, as sad <laughs> as it is to say. But if you watch Capricorn 1, you might feel a little bit worse for the guys because it may be, you know, even though they were all Freemasons, maybe their families were threatened and, you know, that sort of thing if they told. And so, you know, I guess uh, maybe we'll get a deathbed confession one day. But these guys, you know, obviously would care about their families, I suppose. And so it's it's very possible they were blackmailed or, or honeypotted into uh, into continue with this lie, and, and certainly all the fame and fortune doesn't hurt either. And then there's the other aspect that possibly could be with MKUltra and this whole mind control experimentation that maybe they were under it to begin with, and maybe they're still under it. Could be, yeah. I don't know. Let's get it's, it's more speculation, but like you said, the empirical evidence is overwhelming. It's, really, it's not necessary to have any of them. And by the way, it's really easy. It, all you have to do is look at World War One, World War Two to see how easy it is for men to lie to them, to each other, to exploit each other, to kill each other. It's not difficult to realize how easy it is to perpetuate a lie. Well, and especially when we're, when we're totally confounded, um, you know, by definition, our entire lives, it, it makes us so very easily manipulated. One of the tenets of M MK Ultra mind control is to basically instill in a person a total conflict in beliefs without them knowing it. And so for a Bible-believing Christian to also believe the earth is a spinning globe is a, is a fundamental conflict in belief, and we just walk around with that, and it, and it does. It makes us much more easily controlled, and, you know, there are nefarious psychopaths out there that love power, and they'll use deception to control, you know, you, to control everyone as, as much as they can with simply suggesting things and repeating things and propaganda all our life. Oh yeah, it's, it's you know also yeah it is you know it makes me think also of the the videos that are out there of uh, these evangelical pastors 
who do their little sermon of how amazing the universe, God's universe is, and they they use the example of like Earth being like this, you know, in you know, minute dot, and then there's our sun, and then the next sun, and then the bigger sun, and then a bigger sun, and how big of it, and you start to go, man, goodness. Uh, it really is the blind leading the blind. I said that numerous times in this show, but it really comes down to that. Uh, if you're going to put your trust in man, which is what is going on with the pastors and the priests and and the professors, uh, like in Romans 1, they, they profess themselves to be wise, and somebody caught that professor. I think it was, it might have been Mark Sargent. Um, or it was, I can't remember who it was, it was on my show, caught that. But uh, whoever it was... Uh, this whole thing of professing to be wise, we put we allow these men to be put up on a, their uh, podium, uh, their stage, and to uh, just let them regurgitate whatever they please, as long as it validates our paradigm, our understanding of reality. So it's it's just. <laughs> I really have a lot of empathy and sympathy for everyone else. I really don't, you know, I'm sure you've come to this realization. We're certainly not, uh, you're you're a very bright guy, I can tell that. But, you know, we're not uh, better than anybody because we know this. We don't, there's no. No, not no. at all. And again, I could, I could easily see myself still being a globe earther because it's not that I'm any smarter than, than the next guy over. It's just that I was simply by serendipity compelled to actually look at this, um, which I never would have done up until, you know, it was actually just sort of a funny little thing that my friend mentioned, um, you know, because I, I tend to believe in the more conspiratorial things, like 9-11 may have been an inside job and the official narrative is absolute bull. Um, <laughs> but what he said to me is like, well, he's like, well, you're not a flat earther, are you? And I was like, well, no, what are you talking about? I, I didn't even know that that was such a thing. And so we laughed about it, and it was that conversation that led me about, I don't know, a couple months later to actually, just for, you know, just for, uh, just for the fun of it, to look into it and try to debunk it. And, and I was very surprised to find that all of, you know, all of these mountains and mountains of evidence that, that I, a lot of it I had known my whole life but never put two and two together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then the next point here. That uh, Al, that uh, Art Bell denies you the opportunity to <laughs> express. Sure, and uh, the 16. Um, did I say 15? That was the. Oh yeah, the astronauts didn't experience the Alan Allen Bell. So we covered that. Uh, 16 is uh, why can we fire artillery in any direction without figuring in the spin of the Earth or the orbit or the sun's path around the galactic center or the galaxy hurling through space? Once that projectile's um, shot, it's not compelled to the same, all these, you know, contradictory rotational motions that the gravitationally bound planets are. So, you know, an artillery shot should do all sorts of wild, crazy maneuvers once it's shot, but it doesn't. It's, you know, it it proves the Earth is is stationary. Um, Uh, Don't they also use the uh, Corollas effect? Is that what it's called? The... uh... Oh, the Coriolis effect. Yeah, that's what they say. That's what they say. But if you actually apply, if you apply the the rules of the Coriolis effect to the spinning globe Earth, it it doesn't doesn't work. Um, and, and essentially, what the Coriolis effect is, and I sort of described it, but if you're if you're on a rotating body and you're fixed to that rotating body, then you're fixed to a rotational frame of reference. However, the laws of motion dictate that if you're shot in a direction 
any direction contrary to that rotation and not fixed to it, then you're not going to remain fixed to the rotational frame of reference. And so that law, the Coriolis effect, would cause you know east to west uh, flight times to be shorter than west. Uh, west to east flight times, it would cause all artillery shots to do all sorts of wild maneuvers, and we don't see it. So uh, what the Coriolis effect is supposed to be is, you know, typhoons spin in one direction in the northern hemisphere and the opposite direction in the southern hemisphere, but, and it's supposed to be delineated like the dividing line is supposed to be the equator, but it isn't. Um, that dividing line actually follows along with the path of the sun from Capricorn to Cancer and back in the course of a year. And um, that one observation is, you know, it goes, oh, well, uh, the typhoons spin in opposite directions, therefore we live on a globe. But if you try to point that same exact argument out in terms of projectiles or airplanes, then people just ignore it and say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, isn't it convenient to their argument to pick and choose uh, these different laws of physics that they, that they like when they want to and then just totally ignore the exact same argument when it just totally, you know, disproves their model. So it's... Well, so it's exactly it's like the priestcraft in religion. It's exactly <laughs> like what they do. Sure. They, if they can't uh, justify or answer one of your questions, they just blow you off. And, uh, it's just over and over. But you don't understand it. <laughs> That's what they say. But um, the, the problem is, is they're just assuming that the Earth is a spinning globe. And since flight times are equivalent in duration both ways, then there must be a logical explanation for it. But there isn't. The only logical explanation is the world is stationary. That's it. There you go. <laughs> um, All right, the next one. Moving right along, number 17, um, why don't we see constant, ceaseless, never-ending, giant, huge, enormous waves going westward at about 1,000 miles per hour, constantly across all oceans near the equator, I should have put. But think of water. I mean, you can see water on a still day. Um, where's the inertia? You know, if the Earth is spinning, okay, you'd say everything's moving at that rate, but a spin isn't a straight line, and neither is an orbit. If the Earth was hauling ass through space in a straight line and there was no spinning and no orbital motion, then I could understand the argument that water is going to remain fixed to that velocity. But there's a constant change in direction. There's a constant change in orbit, not to mention all the other, you know, the orbit of the sun and the velocity of the galaxy. Water should be just sloshing all over the place here on this spinning globe Earth, but it isn't. Um, lakes are generally still. You can even see pretty uh, still days out at sea. Um, and so, yeah, the behavior of water on this fixed plane Earth is, does a really good job of proving that we're not, it's not sloshing around at giant uh, velocities as far as I've ever seen, like you'd expect, right? It just goes on and on and on. What's the name of that one NOAA uh, map that's flat? name of that remember you know what i'm talking about i don't know if it's yeah. no uh There's the one that has it's flat it's round and it's supposed to mimic the currents and yeah well you've got the the azimuthal equidistant map uh -huh. which is um you can look uh i forget the website check out uh, anybody that's not seen jaronism stuff go to youtube and type in jaronism and he's got a really good video showing how all these weather weather patterns and you know different uh uh, tidal currents and that sort of thing, how they look on the globe. But then on that same scientific website, you can look at the azimuthal equidistant map, 
which is essentially a flat Earth map with the North Pole in the center and all of the continents sort of stretched out from the north. And it makes a whole lot of sense. Everything's just sort of moving in real nice, neat circles. Um, so maybe that's the one you were talking about, is the azimuthal equidistant? I don't think so. I think it's, there's a map out there. There's a, I think it's a, a, there's a current map, or it's like, you know, the water it's a modern map. It's supposed to be like a radar map of the Earth, but it's round and it's, it's flat. It's like a, okay for like for submarines that they use the they use that map as like the I forget the name. I, I do know what you're talking about. I believe. Well, you know, I, I'm looking at here at NOAA's uh, weather map of the United States, and it's and it literally is the same thing that I grew up with back in the seventies. With the little lines, and the things that are supposed to represent weather fronts, you know, the, the line with the arrows, and then the red yeah. line, the red semicircle, and they'll all say, well, this is us, rain, thunderstorm. And why are they still using this stuff? Yeah, <laughs> really. And, yeah, submarine navigators use a, a plane map. They, they use a map that assumes the Earth has a plane because um, – <laughs> the Earth is in the globe. The Mercator projection has to skew and stretch out the continents in all different weird ways in order to have to maintain lines of constant course, and, and we still still use that to this day, pretty much. Now I want to point out something else too. When you look at the, so they have the different maps in NOAA. So now I'm looking at the satellite map, and it has all these representations, the colors, the red, the yellow, the blue, the red. Or is it supposed to be some kind of storm? And then you look at the uh, the map of the United States, and it's always just outlined the states, and it's just blank, nothing. Mm. Yeah, have you noticed that? I mean, maybe I'm being picky here, or too uh, picky about things, but the more and more I look at this stuff, every single map, I'm looking at the the vapor map, they call it the water vapor map, and it's just all fake stuff. It's all just computer-generated imagery. Well, I'm not saying that it's not accurate. It's not accurate. It's not, I'm not saying it's not accurate in predicting the weather and all that. What I'm asking, the question is, why don't we just see a real image of the Earth? Really? That's all I'm asking. Is that too unreasonable in 2015? It's just if there's going to be a water vapor map or a visible light map or a, whatever it may be, why can't it just be the real image? What's going on here? Absolutely. And, you know, they keep sending us back composites and, and really bad animations with, with all sorts of problems. So go yeah. back, back to your, your thing about the water and, uh, you know, if we're really going spinning a gazillion miles a minute, you know, how come they're not even showing the oceans and what's really happening there, you know? Uh, <laughs> we should be all flooded right now, basically, with the way <laughs> Really, it should be a giant tidal wave flooding us constantly. So, anyway, well, yeah, constantly. There should be constantly because again, the, the Earth isn't supposed to be traveling in a perfect constant uh, uh, velocity. The, the velocity of things should constantly be changing because it's going around a curve, and the Earth is supposedly spinning. Um, if you take a like a bathtub full of water and somehow nudge it an inch, that thing will slosh around for for hours, right? Um, and we just don't see that here, and, and it's a pretty pretty good proof. I mean, we've all observed water and still lakes and oceans, and it's just yet another thing that 
we've been looking at our whole lives and just failed to failed to see. I mean, me included, you know, up till just about six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what our eyes don't see when we're led to believe something isn't possible, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> it goes back to the sorcery that, they, or not sorcery, but the magic that they use. They use imagery. They use they they present something that's not real to you. Just like uh, it's just like the religion, uh, icons and uh, statues and etc. Yep. You know, people are praying to a statue that's in an inanimate object that somebody created. And it's not real. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's real in the sense that somebody created it and it's a statue, but it's not real in the sense that you know it. Yeah, you know, graven, so, Im- graven image. Um, and that's it, that's sort of exactly what these the the scientism religion worships are these graven images that are essentially you know associated or, or drilled into our minds at a young age, and it's very it is it's such a strong delusion it's very difficult to to sort of not for like us to be a Christian the graven image would be like a, the picture of Jesus Christ which you know we had no, you know it's <laughs> obviously it's not who he is. But yeah. that's what people now it's implanted in our brains. Every time somebody thinks of Jesus Christ as some dude that looks semi androgynous with long hair and uh with a beard and all that kind of stuff and doing that two you know, the two finger signed eyes above so below type of thing and all and you're just like, um, this is really it's amazing how we are influenced by imagery. It's yep. all man-made imagery, and it's uh, so the scientists. And we're talking, to, you know, it's the ball. The all, the whole the, the number one image, the number one engraved image is the globe. It certainly is, and it's and not only that, but it's uh, it's deceived the whole world. It's not just in America. It's not just in China. It's the entire world has been deceived into this, and I can't think of anything else that has. Literally okay. deceived the entire world since they were kids. I'm going to go uh, on, on a limb here, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. It's because they, you know, we've been indoctrinated and we've been studying religion, and a lot of people think, you know, the image of the beast is the United States, or it's, it is the um, the Romish clergy, or etc., uh, or Islam, or whatever it may be. Uh, I really think the image of the beast is the globe. This is the old, like you said, it, it's the only image that everyone believes in. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty pretty darn good candidate because uh, <laughs> when when I had first made a couple of videos, I got uh, I did sort of a, I, it's not, it wasn't an interview. I just got some comments from a a Chinese radio station that was basically telling me that flat earthers were all cult members that were anti science <laughs> and asked me what you know why did I join this cult. And I basically told them, well, no, this is, you've got it wrong. This actually is the scientific method, and the cult is scientism or heliocentrism. But, yeah, I mean, this is a worldwide thing that literally has every, you know, every person in the world except for the ones that maybe live in the jungle somewhere. I mean, I guess there's still people in South America um, that have never seen a television or seen a uh, – an episode of the uh, Discovery Channel or whatever, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, the the entire world firmly believes this. And yeah, I can't think of anything else in history that's that's fallen under that banner. Yeah, it's a graven image. It's made by man. It is it is the image that man created. Man created this image that now the rest of the world follows after, believes in. I know it's a real stretch. <laughs> I know. It, for a lot of people, it's going to be a real stretch. But what else is there? 
Oh, well, it was hard. It was hard for me because, okay, if you can prove a couple points, that'll get you scratching your head. But you still, you know, we, we all believe the Earth is a spinning globe in space. I mean, that's very hard to get rid of. But in order to, to, to really, you know, come through this thing and, and, and really be a believer of it, you have to go through your own personal mental checklist. And everybody's different. I mean, what, what did it for me might not do it for the other 10 people or whatever. Um, but, but it is up to the individual to be, you know, to keep an open mind, to be scientific in terms of following the evidence and the facts wherever they lead, and discarding failed theorem. That's the key to the scientific method. If you don't throw away a theory that doesn't match reality, then it renders the scientific method useless because you're not following it. <laughs> right? Right. Absolutely. So, What's the next one? Yeah, number 18, um, why don't we have equal 12-hour days and nights all year round? Um, if the Earth was a spinning globe, whether you were in the northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere, the, uh, the what is the word I'm looking for? The terminating line of day and night would be an, an even line traveling at the same speed across the entire face of the globe, no matter where you are. And yeah, technically we should have even nights even days and nights all year long, but uh, in fact, the reason why we have you know all these differences in, in days and nights is because the sun is relatively close. It's going in, uh, it's traveling for all intents and purposes in a circle concentric with the North Pole. Um, during the northern summer, that circle gets tighter around the North Pole, and during the northern winter, it gets loose, you know, towards the south, towards the edges, and so that causes, um, due to laws of perspective. Um, it causes us to have, you know, shorter days in the winter and longer days in the summer. It's pretty basic. There you go. Can't say much about that. Yeah, just, <laughs> I, can't, I can't argue with it. So. Well, and one of the things I did was took a took a flashlight and, and did some experiments with spheres. And yeah, it, 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 while that thing's spinning, you'd have about half of it lit all the time, and the other half of it would be not lit the other half of the time. So it's pretty basic. Um, Number 19, uh, why can't we observe the stars behaving in such a way you'd expect on a spinning globe? The tunnel pattern caused by focusing a time-lapse camera on the North Star would only be possible very close to the North Pole on a, on a spinning globe. But in fact, you can get that same tunnel pattern from you know, down at the equator. That's the, the North Pole star basically doesn't move. It does a very, very tight circle in the center, but it doesn't move laterally. And the further away the stars get from the North Pole, the larger the ring. Um, but what you should see if the Earth is a spinning globe is a completely different pattern than that. It, it, it doesn't work. I mean, it really, really doesn't work on a globe model. Um, and then finally, the, the last one, um, and I probably could have done 50 of these, but I had to do 20. Um, and we only covered, you know, we maybe covered five or six of these during that that debate, but... Number 20 was, uh, why is the Antarctic Treaty in place? It was signed in the 50s. After all these decades, through all the energy crises, oil crises, all the scarcity, all the greedy corporations who like to strip mound mi mountains, strip mine mountains in the uh, beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains to drill for oil and coal and fracking, um, why is the Antarctic Treaty not up for debate? And Antarctica is essentially off limits for this sort of thing for corporations when it's supposedly rich in all these fuel sources that, um, you know, we, we could have used for the last 50, 60 years at least. But we, allegedly, we don't. 
very bizarre. Couldn't be for any environmental purposes because there's no, um, you know, no indigenous wildlife, no people live there. So wouldn't there be, could, I mean, there isn't a better place to do that sort of thing in the Antarctic and it's off limits. So, I mean, that's very bizarre and it's not even up for debate for another 25 years. We're stuck with it. And that's a problem. Yeah. And the problem is, is we're in a, we're in a position where, um, all we can do is speculate why they're doing it. That's what's really to the drag. I mean, we just don't, you know, there's so much, they've created so much quote unquote mystery behind it. And all we can do is speculate why they have, um, kept it off limits because as it goes, it's contradictory to human behavior. I mean, we are, wherever we go, uh, we settle it. doesn't matter how bad it is. And, uh, we, uh, want to conquer it. We want to exploit it. Um, it's in our, it's in our blood. It's in our genes. It's (laughs) none of it makes any sense. Uh, at this point, it's it's not like you're going to, it's not like you're going to bump into the Antarctic on your way to work and back. It's very inhospitable. It's very cold. And since most people believe it's just a little ice cap situated at the bottom of a spear, it's not like it's going to lead to anything. So, yeah, they've, they've done a pretty good job keeping it out of the public mind. And, uh, you know, really, we, we do. We have a pioneering spirit that wants to know what's beyond. But if they sort of wrap beyond at the bottom of a spear, then there's no purpose to check it out because it's just cold and will probably, probably make us late for dinner anyways, right? <laughs> Well, it also makes me think about uh, what uh, Admiral Burt was saying in the North Pole. Because, I mean, I caught this. I shared it with Mark Sargent, but he said he missed it. uh, But it was in his own video uh, about Admiral Burt. And Admiral Burt mentions specifically that there's no need to go to the North Pole because it's already there's already people living there and there's a lot of activity going on there. This is back in the 1950s, and I'm like, what? Who's living in the North Pole? Why did he say that? No, I understand he's a Freemason. I understand he's schooled in the art of uh, lying and deception and, you know, saying things to, to, you know, to kind of, you know, motivate. Maybe he was saying that to kind of motivate people to go to the the, uh, South Pole, but he said that. And it went over everybody's head. I, I don't remember that. So he said there was a lot of people living at the North Pole. Yeah, he said there's already people living there, and there's already enough activity going on there. I'm like, who the heck is living in the North Pole? Now, maybe it's just my way of thinking. I admit I'm not the brightest bulb or the sharpest tool in the shed, but I caught that. So I started looking into pictures and imagery of the North Pole, and I could hardly find anything. Yeah. And so what the heck is going on over there? Yeah, I think there is something to it because, you know, um, we can't neglect there is also an Arctic Treaty and similar rules apply. I mean, they really don't want us going to the southern regions, but for some reason they don't want us going to the northern. And I think probably the reason being is, is um, that there, there's going to be found, you know, some pretty blatantly obvious uh, anomalies uh, that that would right out show us something's not right if we were able to just freely, you know, survey those areas. So that at least goes back to what you guys were talking about uh, two nights ago on the, the ISIS episode of your uh, Globusters with you and uh, and Bob and uh, and Jeremy. Is uh, you brought up that map? At least he brought up the map that was a Mercator map of the North Pole. Yeah, I'd and never that, seen that before. The other day is very interesting. 
And I, I saw that too. I, I saw that after I heard what Edward Bird said, I started looking into it. I mean, why would they draw, make a map like that? And why is it so off limits now? And why are there no real imagery of the North Pole? I mean, there's bits and pieces of it. There's GPG, uh, uh, CGI imagery as well. But when I look at, so if I can look at the North Pole, images of the North Pole, uh, on Google, it's all blurred out. Hmm. Yeah. Have you, have you done it? I mean, I, tell me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to be speculating. But if I look at it, I'm looking right now at the, uh, Google images of North Pole, and I look at the North Pole, and it, um, um, for some reason, a bunch of it's the Arctic, but the Antarctic, excuse me. Um, but like, I look at this one, and. It doesn't look real. It doesn't look real. Or maybe I'm becoming really skeptical. Well, yeah, and me, me too. Look, I got one <laughs> picture here, the missing area of the North Pole, Google, and there's land under the North Pole. It's right. like an ice cap, and there's land around the edges. So what is going on? What am I looking at? Why is this 2015, why is this answer not? This question not satisfactory answer. I'm not that bright. Well, and there's a lot of theories. Um, you know, one thing that, that uh, and I know Mark Sargent had pointed this out, but if you look at international flight paths, um, it, you know, if we lived on a globe in the southern hemisphere, there should be, you know, pretty short flights going, not necessarily over the South Pole, but near it and, you know, taking that shortcut if the Earth is a ball. But instead what they do is just divert all over the place and go into the northern hemisphere and then back down into the southern hemisphere. And if you lay these flight paths out on a flat Earth map, they're just going in a straight line. Um, you know, you can't, take a, you can't take a shortcut around the bottom of a sphere that doesn't exist. And so uh, and they also sort of avoid the North Pole as well. And I think that it probably has to do with the uh, – there might be some kind of really bizarre magnetic anomalies up there. And so they just, you know, they keep us out of there. And, again, it's not like you're going you're gonna to stumble on the North Pole on your way back and forth to work. And so just simply by – uh, you know, saying, oh, and by the way, the guy that supposedly went to the North Pole first was in like 1909 or something. His name was Peary, P-E-A-R-Y. Um, so they sort of do the whole been there, done that thing, and people don't want to go because it's a pain in the butt and it's cold and somebody's already been there and people are there digging around and, and you know, they've got it covered. And so, you know, I'll just go, go off to work and not think about it. And right. so I think that's sort of why they do it. Um, by the way, I, I need to correct myself. I've been looking at uh, Greenland and thinking that that's the landmass. What I'm looking at is just a lot of these imagery. There's no there's no ice. It's just blue. If there is ice, all the CGI. I, it's just driving me nuts. It really is driving me nuts. I can't find one real photograph, even from high altitude of north the Arctic. Can you find one? I'm really frustrated. I haven't really looked. Um, <laughs> it's just frustrating because I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Is there a specific specific? Well, question? you know, you can take a you can take a cruise to the northern you know the northern uh, Arctic Ocean or near it. They, they don't ever take you to it. Um, and the, the same thing with the southern hemisphere to the South Pole. You can take a cruise to it, and they supposedly have scientists stationed there, but yeah, I mean, in terms of an average person, if you decided one day I want to go to the North Pole, 
um, you're going to have to get all sorts of permission. Same thing with the South Pole. It'll have to be okayed by the Antarctic. I don't even want to go to the pole. I just want to see. I want an image of the North Pole. I guess all I want to right. see. I don't care about going there. You know what I mean? Uh, what's going on? It just really is frustrating because, um, but it's you know what? It makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. The, the prince of this world, Satan, and the prince of, you know, he's nothing but a liar since the beginning, and that's all he can do. You look at how, who is gain control of this world and what they needed to do to gain control of this world, um, that that's what they, you know, all they can do. I really think at some point it's so ingrained in humanity to lie. And I don't want to sound like I'm being negative because there's good in everybody, but we have to be honest. Because we've been lied to our lives, we perpetuate the lies. So whether we deliberately lie or not, we're still lying. And yeah. We are qualified to be a liar, all of us. Why did that happen? Why is it happening? And why something as simple as simple people is saying one image? Yeah, well, um, the, the, the great <laughs> deception that, that would deceive even the very elect, if that were possible. You know, that's, that's I believe Jesus said that. And, you know, wow. I mean, it, it's so true. Um, and, and, you know, my hope is not not to just convince people. I, I like to throw out proofs, but but my main goal is to just you know convince people to think for themselves. Don't don't just take my word for everything that I've said. You know I, I may be a hundred percent correct on everything, and and I may make mistakes here and there. I'm only human, um, but at the same time, you know if you're a human being with a brain and you want to know the truth, you know look at this topic. Try to debunk it. That's what I did. Um, but but hopefully you know at least with this talk here you, you have a little bit better understanding of the of the proofs for and against the the globe earth and the flat earth and that there is a discussion here there is a debate and there is an ultimate truth and until we get rid of things like the Antarctic and the Arctic treaties um, we're probably never going to have definite you know definite answers to all the questions but frankly there's enough empirical uh, preponderance of evidence that that clearly proves that the world couldn't possibly be a spinning globe, and that is very much in line with the Bible. Um, to me, the the whole biblical ramifications of this w was an afterthought. I, I didn't um, look at this from a biblical standpoint at first, um, but it certainly didn't hurt my view of the flat Earth, nor did it hurt my view of the Bible. Realizing that they're both uh, very much connected and both very much true as far as I can tell. So hopefully I, I've uh, helped at least one person uh, along that journey. That was my goal from the beginning. Well, you helped me. You helped me <laughs> You know, one of the things I think about with this great deception thing is, um, you know, inevitably the question will be uh, raised is uh, with, with the Von, von Braun's uh, claim that the, the final deception will be an alien invasion. You look at... I'm hoping, I was just talking to somebody today, their son uh, was a computer programmer and worked for uh, the government and was the military designing drones out there in the West there and I guess it was Denver, Nevada, close to Area 51. And uh, I guess they have huge tunnels there. The guy was telling me, his son was telling him that they got these huge tunnel network with a huge, they could put two planes next to each other side by side, you know, what are they planning on doing with all that? Of course, it's just speculation, but 
clearly it is necessary for their grand deception that the majority of the world hold on to the heliocentric model. You know what I mean? To believe that there's some alien invasion, which they've been pushing on us. Let's face it, that's what they've been doing. They've been trying to indoctrinate the whole humanity into believing that there's aliens and there's some... Sure. Sure. (laughs) Even before the the rocket missions, you know, look at Lost in Space. That was uh, back in the early 1950s. Um, and, and also, By the way, that's that's a great find in your video that you put in there. So that's, the trailer, like I, Lost in Space. Yeah, yeah I never even seen the trailer. I'd seen Lost in Space, but I'd never seen the trailer. It's like, oh my gosh, they really pushed it, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> well, they tell you what they're doing. They said they're going to glitter and glamour your eyes and and take you to places you've never dreamed of. And they were saying that we were in the space age in the early 1950s, um, just because we had allegedly, you know shot a rocket up there and so yeah that ever since then and even before they've been pushing this whole uh infinite space and alien agenda for you know over 60 years now probably longer than that but it's gotten so much you know so much more progressively worse um over the years because you know they've had to they've had to compound this lie and make it more just more and more and more glamorous and more uh grandiose and that's why it's it's really hard for people to sort of come down away from that lie is because we're we've we've all just sort of gone on all these theoretical assumptions and a lot of people believe in, you know, ancient alien theory and, and all of these things that they really enjoy believing sort of fall apart um with this revelation. And so yeah, uh, people have stakes people have stakes in the heliocentric model. Absolutely. In the globe. Well, listen, I really appreciate you spending the uh, three-plus hours with me this evening. And You didn't have to do that. I really appreciate you getting back with me. I'm sure the people listening and the people in the future will listen. I hope that – actually, you know, I hope someday that I have – that you and a guy named Chris Kendall, if you look up on TalkShoe, his show is called Hoax Busters. And he does a lot of uh, uh, refuting and debunking scientism. And I think that you guys would have a great conversation. And I, Chris has a, a much more, uh, a bigger following than me, and much more. And uh, I think that would be real positive all the way around. And Chris is just now, it looks like, uh, kind of, you know, really exploring this flat earth agenda. And naturally, he would. Um, and I think that'd be fantastic. So sure, you can. Luminous Arcada, uh, brother. If you 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 interact with them, and I will too. I will talk to them once again. I can, uh, see if uh, you guys will get together and talk. Yeah, you can you can give them my telephone numbers. The easiest way to get a hold of me. I, I've got about uh, over three thousand unread emails in my inbox, so I, I tend to drag behind on that and, and comments on YouTube and stuff. But yeah, give him my number if he wants to have me on and give me a call. I, I work for free. That's how much I love my job. So, <laughs> Well, before you go, let's go through exactly what you, um, you've been doing, uh, what you've been up to as far as your YouTube channel, Ghostbusters, etc. Okay? So sure. the people are listening and for all those who are joining late, this, <laughs> we've been talking to Don Borgel on YouTube channel and uh, Jonathan. So John. Yeah, well, definitely check out my my YouTube channel. I don't have a website or anything; just a YouTube channel. It's uh, the Morgile. That's uh, capital T H E, capital M, O R G I L E. 
Um, oh, before the show, you had asked. Uh, it was a Morgyle was a name, uh, an avatar name that I used for online gaming, starting way back in the day, playing a uh, a mod of uh, uh, Half Life, which was Team Fortress. I played that for years as Morgyle, and and kept that username through my online gaming years with different, uh, you know not necessarily MMOs, but like Battlefield, and so it sort of stuck. When I, when I went to go name my username on YouTube, John was taken, believe it or not, and so I didn't want to be John 63475, so I just used uh, tried Morgyle, but that was taken, and so I used the Morgyle, and so that's my YouTube uh, channel. I've got, uh, I think, uh, probably 50 Flat Earth videos on there at this point, um, a lot of good proofs, a lot of uh, uh, hypotheses, and a lot of things just to sort of show, um, you know, what we've been talking about tonight, that the Earth isn't a spinning globe, it couldn't possibly be, and that leaves um, really only one thing it could be, as far as I'm concerned, as a stationary plane. Uh, one, one thing I would, uh, if you guys like reading books, or if you like books but you don't like reading them, I uh, recorded the entire Zetetic Astronomy, which was, again, written by Dr. Robotham in 1865. It's uh, called Earth, Not a Globe, but I've got that as a playlist, the entire audiobook um, Zetetic Astronomy. That's good. Um, I've got some new videos I've just released in the last week or two. And for those of you who would like to contribute um, to my efforts, I have a fan funding uh, set up for YouTube as well as PayPal. All the details are, are on my channel. If you, if you find it and you want to help out, you can. And, and if not, you don't have to. So there you go. Excellent. <laughs> well, a side question. We were talking about the book. Um, have you read uh, Terra Firma yet? Is it, is it worth the read? Uh, I know that... Uh, Guys like Skyva say that it's worth reading. Um, I haven't read it. Um, I, I, somebody did recommend it to me, and I may have downloaded the PDF, but it might have been a different one. But Terraformer, do you remember who wrote it? Uh, I don't. But I might have it in front of me. I don't know. Okay. Well, no worries, but uh, I'm sure I can find it. And uh, if, you, if you think it's uh, worth I it, I check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely downloadable. You can download it on, I think it's either archives.org or something like that. So, anyways, um, that was awesome, dude. I really, uh, dude, <laughs> uh, John, it was uh, it was uh, really a, a great time. I, I, I have uh, been an admirer of your work, <clears throat> and I think that uh, you, uh, anybody that watches your videos, it doesn't come away with the same conclusion that I have and you have. <laughs> Is really being stubborn, and either is afraid. They're out there. They're out there. Either they're afraid of what other people are going to think of them. They're worried about the praise of other men, or they just uh, they're just going to be dogmatic in their views. I think there's a lot of people that's the way they are. Most people don't love the truth. That's one thing I've come to realize. They say they say they do, but I my own journey and what I see with everybody else's journey is they pursue the truth. <clears throat> it leads them in different direction from the herd. And um, you're going to be willing, you have to be willing to love that truth, the truth enough to follow it, regardless of where it takes you. And um, I really think that's part of the spirit of God, working within man, to really get to that point where they really believe in such a thing, uh, that, have, um, says <clears throat> that they can believe that uh, the spirit of God is actually motivating them, getting them to follow things, buck the system. Not to be necessarily rebellious, but just to know the truth. I mean, 
most people don't want that. So check out John's work, man. It's really worth it. So the next person I'm hoping to have in John before we go is Wakey Wakey. He just emailed me. Uh, Mark, you know Mark Knight? Uh, Wakey Wakey, yeah, I've I've seen his work. I, I definitely like uh, some of his stuff. We we don't necessarily agree on everything. Um, just so you guys know, uh, th- there is sort of a debate on whether or not there is a glass or iron dome in the sky. Um, I am under the sort of line of thought that there probably isn't, although I will reserve that as a possibility. Um, but yeah, so I like Wakey Wakey. Oh, another thing I forgot to mention to you guys, I always need to plug uh, Globebusters, which... Um, we do, we've been doing twice a week on Mondays and Tuesdays on Globebusters on YouTube, but the days of the week might change, so just check that out, subscribe. Um, we do a lot of good talks. And next week should be a really, really good show. We're going to have a guy that did a TED Talk that was banned, um, and he was, he's doing some sort of uh, vortex mathematics, which is a new uh, sort of way of looking at mathematics and uh, I believe rodent coils, and so it should be a really, really awesome show next week in terms of um, science. So I've always been a big fan of science, and, and hopefully if, if you guys are, um, science isn't just for uh, dorks. It's for people that want to know the truth, and uh, <laughs> that's why we love it. So yeah, It's all tied in together, I'm discovering, science, religion, politics. It uh, really is all tied in, and more ways than I ever imagined. You just can't compartmentalize yourself in one area, you know what I mean? Like for the most, the most part, this first year has been uh, uh, looking at organized religion, but as I branch out, I already knew enough about politics from my own personal experience and stuff like that. <clears throat> so you don't really have to be a genius to figure out politics. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it does. But then it goes on, and I think, uh, yeah, we're really under the strong delusion of scientism, and it is our day's great religion that surpasses all the other great religions combined. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Then all religions combined because it contains, um, cross sections of all the religions. Uh, I think some of the Muslims are flat earthers though. Actually there's, I've seen a few videos with uh, these Muslim clerics, uh, claiming, you know, the flat earth. So hopefully that doesn't divide us too much. Um, I'm certainly no Muslim, but if, you know, if they're claiming the truth, then, you know, that's great. That's what it comes down to at this point. You know, I mean, uh, what side are you going to be on, the truth or not? Not Really? You know, so. Cool, man. Thank, uh, folks, thank you for joining me. Uh, like I said, Luminous Arcade. Uh, if you think about it, uh, and I will as well, let's get a hold of Chris this evening and get him to contact John, because I think that it'd be a, a home run, these two guys talking. For, you know, he, Chris is much more technical about it, and uh, <clears throat> much smarter guy than I am, so. I had him on a show a couple of weeks ago and uh, really enjoy just talking to him, you know. And um, so, yeah, any, any time, man, just uh, give me a call or give him my number, have whatever, whatever. Cool. Well, you stay on, and I'm going to just uh, end the, sh- the recording here, folks. And so, God bless and take care. Thank you for joining me, and those who'll be listening in the future. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.